Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lichtenstein. Today we have the final podcast of the year and the uh, first podcast of the new year. And accordingly, we are going to be talking about making the year 5784 into the year, making it an um, unbelievably successful year. And in that vein, we have a number of very well-known guests coming on to the show, and each of them will be asked in alphabetical order the following three questions. Number one is, what's your favorite Yamim Noraim Dvar Torah? Number two, what's your advice to give us on improving ourselves for the coming year? Then number three, a personal question for each of the guests, what has worked for you? So as mentioned, we are going to have the guest up here in alphabetical order because otherwise it's impossible to decide on an order for such an unbelievable group of guests joining us today. And uh, just when it comes to the three questions, my hope is that with question number one, our favorite, their favorite, Yamim Noraim Tvar Torah, their Divrei Torah, that hopefully of them that you can find your own favorite Tivre Torah that will be inspiring to you. I'm hoping you can even take notes and give them over at your Shabbos and Yentev tables. When it comes to question number two, this is really an important concept on this show. This show is not about just Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but what can we do starting now? Concepts, ideas that we can implement now and keep with us all year round. That's the concept of the show. Using it not only now, inspiration now for these few days that we have, but going forward as well till next year in order to make this 5784 into capital T, the year of our lives. And question number three is really a continuation of number two. What is work for each of our guests? And we want to learn from them. What is work for them in their quest to becoming more successful in improvement in their lives. I do want to thank each of the guests that will be joining us today. It was a real pleasure speaking with each and every one. I learned a tremendous amount from each of them. And at this point, end of the year, beginning of the new year, I also want to thank David Lichtenstein, Rip David, for the opportunity to participate in headlines, to be able to host some of the shows, to be his junior partner in just a tremendous mitzvah and a sequay rabim. It's a real privilege. It's a real pleasure. And then I wanted to thank you. I don't have that opportunity so often. So the guests that we're going to have, I'm not going to give a long bio for each of them because we have so many of them. So I'm going to do this in very short form. We are going to start out with Rabbi Emmanuel Bernstein. Lives in Yerushalayim, originally from London. He's a popular teacher and prolific author. Wonderful svarim. Then we're going to speak with Rabbi Dr. Yitzchak Breitowitz. He is a regular on the show, senior lecturer at Yeshiva Sor Sameach, and a great posek, a great thinker. Then we are going to speak with the Rabbi Yisachar friend, the well-known Rosh Yeshiva, one of the Rosh Yeshiva at Ner Yisrael, Baltimore. Then we will move somebody from London as well, but now relocated to Florida. Rebitson S.D. Hamilton, a very popular lecturer and teacher. Then we will be uh, staying in the United States, and we'll move actually up the East Coast to speak with Charlie Harari, the famous management consultant and noted speaker, and will stay in the uh, East Coast, tri-state area, speak with Mrs. Michal Horowitz, a very popular lecturer and teacher, and then we'll speak with Rabbi Naftali Horowitz. He likes to be known as Naftali, but he is Rabbi Naftali Horowitz, 
the managing director at Morgan Stanley and the author and the great teacher that we have in this generation, Rabbi Aryeh Leibowitz, the great Mora de Asra Beis HaKnesis in North Woodmere. And then we'll speak with Rabbi Yaakov Neuberger. He's the Rav of Congregation Beth Abraham in New Jersey. And then moving back to Israel, Mrs. Sivan Rachav Meir. She is a very well-known, very prominent media personality in Israel, a prolific author and lecturer. Then we will speak with Harry Rothenberg, a noted speaker, prominent attorney in New York, New Jersey. And then moving over to Milwaukee, Rebitzin Fagy Tversky, a noted teacher and prolific author. And then moving back to Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Beryl Wine, the renowned Rav, author, historian, and lecturer. Before we go to our guests, some thoughts. First on Rosh Hashanah, I'll give one to our Torah, and then another one on Yom Kippur. And uh, I want to start out with a story that happened to Rav Simcha Bonim. Rav Simcha Bonim, Rosh Hashanah, it's now Shachris, he's the Chazan, getting up to say Hamelech, he is angelic, he is wearing his kittle, his talis, Rab Simcha Bodim HaKadosh, and he gets up, and when he begins to chant Hamelech, he breaks down in uncontrollable tears, and he's un able to continue. After a number of minutes, finally he's able to continue with the davening. And afterward, his Hasidim came back to, up to him and said, Rav Simcha, Rav Simcha Bonin, what happened that you were not able to get through Hamelech? You couldn't even say the first word. And Rav Simcha Bonin explained his emotional reaction by, by citing a famous Gomorrah Gittin. And he says as follows, when Rav Yochanan and Zakai met the Roman general Vespasian during the siege of Yerushalayim, this is before Vespasian was appointed to be the Caesar, the king, the Caesar. So Rabbi Yochanan Mitzake greets him as follows, Shlama lach malka, shlama lach malka, which means peace to you, the king, peace to you, the king. Says it twice. That's how he greeted Vespasian. And Vespasian retorted as follows, You've just earned yourself two death sentences. One, because you called me the king, and I am not the king. You're making fun of me. You're making fun of the emperor, calling me the king. I'm not the king. That's one death sentence. And the second one is because if I am the king, because if I am the king, why haven't you come before me until now? And Reb Simcha Bonim responding to his Hasidim said, When Hashem asks me this same question, Where were you until now? Why didn't you remember all year long? Says Reb Simcha Bonim, I'll have no response. And that's why I broke down. HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying to me, Reb Simcha, where were you until now? You didn't have to wait till Rosh Hashanah. Let's move forward to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the end of the Aseris Yimei so we start with Rosh Hashanah, where we have the Tkiah Shofar, and we have at the end, we also, at the way end, after Nelia, we also have a Tkiah, we have a Tashrat, whatever is blown, different Minhagim. Now the Ramam explains to us in Hilchos Tshuva Peragimel, what's the concept of the Tkiah Shofar? He says, Oru Yesheni Mishnaschem, wake up, slumbers from your sleep, he continues, Vachapsu B'maseichem, you have to look at your deeds, now's the time to repent, and remember HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the question, a simple question, we can understand having the Kiyashofer at the beginning, that's what the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, we have the Mitzvah, Kiyashofer is Rosh Hashanah, but why do we end off Yom Kippur 
with the blow of the shofar as well? That's question number one. We'll ask another related question. Second question is as follows. As part of the avod of the Kohen Gadol and the base of Mikdash and Yom Kippur, we'll read about it in Musaf on Yom Kippur. We have the Kiddush Yadayim Raglaim. Actually, ten times. Ten times he's Mekanesh Yadayim Raglaim. Five mikvah dips. Ten times he's Mekanesh Yadayim Raglaim. And the tenth of them... At the way end, at the way end of the avoda, in fact, maybe the avoda is done already. The tenth of it is before he changes his, into his weekday clothing. He's ready to go home. Changes into weekday clothing right before that. Kiddush Yadayim Raglayim. So the question is, why bother at that point? It's a little bit too late. It's over. The avoda is over. He's changing into his weekday clothes. Why does he have a Kiddush Yadayim Raglayim? Why does he sanctify his hands and his feet at that point? So we have two questions. Question number one is, why do we end off Yom Kippur blowing the shofar? And question number two, why do we have a Kiddush Yadayim Raglayim of the coin Gadol after effectively the avoda is over? And to answer both of these questions, we're going to bring an important principle enunciated by the Kesef Mishnah. The Kesef Mishnah says as follows, somebody goes into mikvah, somebody's tameh. He only becomes pure, he only becomes tahor when he emerges from the mikvah, not while he's still inside the mikvah. Again, says the Kesef Mishnah, somebody who is tameh, when does he become tahor? Not when he's sitting in the mikvah, only when he gets out of the mikvah. Accordingly, what that means is the t- true test of tahara purity is how you conduct yourself when you leave the mikvah. Do you take the kedusha, the holiness of the mikvah with you? Do you just dry it off and leave it behind? And based on that concept, that principle of the Kess of Mishnah, we're going to answer both of our questions. Question number two, the Kiddush Yadayim and Raglaim of the Kohen Gadol. So this is the true test for the Kohen Gadol representing all of us. It's the true test of all of us. Yom Kippur is not what we do during the Itzumo Shalyom, what we do during Yom Kippur. Same with Rosh Hashanah. It's not what we do during Rosh Hashanah, but it's what happens afterward, how we live our lives. And that's why the Kohen Gadol sanctifies himself after Yom Kippur, after the Avod of Yom Kippur, before re-entering the mundane, before re-entering his regular life, before re-entering, putting us clothing on, the weekday clothing. That's when the real work begins. Everyone can be at Tzadik during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but what happens afterward? And then answers our first question as well. That's why we blow the shofar at the end of Yom Kippur. It's to remind us to keep all of the promises we've just made on the holy day of Yom Kippur. That final blast of the shofar that should echo throughout the entire year, inspiring us to make every day Yom Kippur. And in fact, that is what this podcast is about. Inspiration from our guests, their favorite TV Torah to carry with us. Number two, how to improve ourselves. And number three, related to number two, how do they improve themselves? Each of our speakers so that we can keep it going, not only during the Aserasi Mechuva, but going forward throughout the year as well, making this year into capital T, the year. Just before we go to our guests, I just want to add on some uh, personal experience, a couple of personal initiatives based on questions two and three, Kabbalahs for improvement, or personal Kabbalahs, how uh, I've made an attempt to try to improve. And this isn't a Kabbalah that uh, relates to the 
I started Yemei Tshuva, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, but rather I started both of these a couple of months ago, a few months ago, and this first one has to do with saying Asher Yatsar with Kavana. So oftentimes people say the Kabbalah is a Birka Samazan out of adventure, say Asher Yatsar with Kavana. But the question is, how do you do that? How do you remind yourself to have Kavana? So a few years ago, when I came to Asher Yatsar, what I started doing was as soon as finishing, come out of the bathroom, stood in a place. I made a commitment, I'm not going to be walking I'm going to stand in one place and say Asher Yatsar. And it really worked for me, not walking, not looking here and there, just standing in one place. But uh, miraculously, after a couple months, my legs started moving and I started walking unbeknownst to me. Somehow that didn't really work for the long term. So what I started a while ago now, a few months ago, a couple months ago, is coming out immediately saying Asher Yatsar before getting distracted by doing this. Let me just do that. Immediately saying Asher Yatsar out loud, word for word. And not just standing in one place, but leaning against a wall with my elbow. So I stick my elbow against the wall because it's really weird to do. So it's going to remind you. It reminds me. It works unbelievably effectively for me. Come out of the bathroom. In shul, come out of the bathroom. Find the wall. Stick your elbow out. And... Attached to the wall, leaning against the wall, say Asher Yatsar out loud, word for word, paying attention to the words. Baruch Hashem, every single time, every single time. So if anyone wants to try that, just try it. It looks weird. It sounds weird. Do it. It's unbelievably effective. We'd love to hear back from you on your experiences. And another thing is a learning, a learning, uh, I don't want to say commitment, but a learning program that I've been learning on for the past uh, few months uh, and enjoying tremendously. It's called Iyun Halacha, and you can go to iyunhalacha.org, and there are various tracks. It's a very small program. Many more people should join. Many more people should know about it. There's a Yeridea track. They learn Basar Bachalov, Taruves, also Machalos Asuros. That's led by Harav Aaron Shenkaluski, from, originally from Lakewood. There's also Hilcha Shabbos, Harav David Ashtrov. There's also Choshen Mish, but you can choose the track. They happen to have new cycles starting now. The uh, Hilcha Shabbos is starting within days. So it's a great time to join. And uh, Isr Veheter is uh, starting new topics. They're not at the uh, end of the three-year cycle, but there's some new topics that will be starting soon. So take a look at it, iyunhalacha.org. It's a great mechaev. There are Sunday shiurim on Zoom. There are uh, Mari Makomas that are said, put printouts. It's not only uh, just the sources, but uh, it's a homahala that you get a shir a week, a topic a week, and you get the printout and you learn through Merkaros. And we have a shir on Sunday. So it is a great mechaev. It's uh, very interesting, uh, enjoyable. And that's the best thing that we can do to keep us learning is find something that we enjoy learning. And now before going to our guest, let's hear the riddles of the week. For riddle number one, this is based on one of my most favorite mitzvahs relating to eating. A huge mitzvah to eat on Erev Yom Kippur. So in fact... The pasuk in Vikra Chav Gimel says, "V'inisem es nafsho sechem b'tishal achodesh be'erav inuay." You should be fasting on the ninth in the evening. But the Gemara and Brachos ask, "What do you mean the ninth? Yom Kippur's on the tenth, not the ninth." And the Gemara answers as follows: Truth be told, the fast, of course, is on the tenth. But somebody who eats and drinks on the night, it's as if he fasted both on the ninth and the tenth. So that's a known Gemara. Then the question is as follows. We have this tremendous mitzvah to eat on the ninth. Erev Yom Kippur. And the question is, why don't we say a bracha 
on that mitzvah. That is question number one, riddle number one. Riddle number two is as follows. Are women obligated on this mitzvah as well to eat on Erev Yom Kippur because it is a mitzvah that typically Nashim Arpturus women are not obligated in a mitzvah a time-bounded mitzvah. So the question is, are they obligated or are they not obligated in this mitzvah? And a bonus question on that. We have riddle number one, riddle number two. Riddle number three is, do you have an answer, one answer that responds to both riddle number one and riddle number two? In other words, it should be one answer that answers both of those riddle questions. That's the bonus round. The bonus round is, if you have one answer for both one and two, then you get the bonus. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now let's go to our wonderful guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Emmanuel Bernstein. Rabbi Bernstein is a popular Rebbe and Magid Shir throughout Yerushalayim, teaching at a number of locations. He is a prolific author who has published quite a lot on Chagim and on Chumash as well. Most relevant is his safer entitled Tshuva, A Guide for the Mind and Heart during Elul, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur. And he is also recently, within a few days, a few weeks ago, published Sukkot. So please go out and buy it before it sells out. Any of his shiurim and all this information is available on Rabbi Bernstein's website, journeysintorah.com. Rabbi Bernstein, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure, Rabbi. So Rabbi Bernstein, I remember hearing shiurim from your father 30 years ago, and I am wow. incredibly excited to have you on the show our first time. I'd love to get your favorite either Dvartor, Vort, or story, and also let us know if it's from the Safer or not. Well, Ravari, uh, I have to say it's, uh, it's a difficult request just to choose one, but, uh, but so be it. Uh, and this is, or part of it is actually in the Safer. <laughs> and it relates to something that we say, we begin to say on Rosh Hashanah, and we will say it all the way through till the end of Yom Kippur. And that is Zachreinu Lachaim. In the, the first bracha of Shemana we say Zachreinu Lachaim, and that's first and foremost what we want to be remembered for life. Interestingly, and you'd never imagine that there was controversy over this addition of Zachreinu Lachaim, which was added in at the time of the Ga'onim, but there was. I mean, for us, it's in every Siddur. You could never know that there were people that opposed it, but they did. Ga'onim themselves. And the reason why is because the Gemara says you can't make requests in the first uh, three brachas of Shemana Yisrei. So uh, that's exactly what we're doing. The first bracha, we're almost finished and we start with a request. How can it be? So so the practice was defended by Rav Haigon himself. And he said that if it's a request for the, for the community, for the many, so then it's acceptable even in the first of but what's very interesting is, you know, you can defend it, you can explain it, you can justify it, but wouldn't it be just be easier to still wait three brachas and then you can request whatever you want? 
It sounds almost like we're being, to use the uh, Israeli expression, dafkeneks. In, in, in other words, I can do it here, so I will. But why not just take the path of zero resistance and just put it in Shmakoleinu or Ashivenu or something like that? And this question was raised by a very special uh, person, Rabbi Ram Yitzhak Bloch of Tells, Hashem in Kandoma, the son of the Shirei Das, who himself was a, a Rebbe in, in the Tells Yeshiva. And he explains, you know, everyone wants life. Everyone wants to do well in life. But how do you define life? So many different ways. And some of them are very diminished, and some of them are even not what we would call life at all. When you think of a person who says, this is the life, or living it up, they're probably not doing things that we'd normally associate with meaningful life. So how do we give context to that request of Zacharein Ulechai? The answer is, we say it in the bracha of August. The bracha of Avos is about Avram Yitzhak and Yan, and we cannot afford to leave that bracha without interjecting Zochreinu Lachaim, by which we mean, that's what we mean by life, that type of life, the life of illuminators, not just of consumers. And I think it really sets the tone, because we say life as defined by the Avos, that's what we want. Very often, I think that the biggest crime that we can commit throughout the course of the year as we drift is against ourselves, that we really end up with a very diminished form of, of what we could really be. You know, there's an interesting remez of the Shalah, that Elul, may everyone gets into Rosh Hashanah, of Elul, I need a Todi, with Odili, and they're all good, and Kulam Ahubim, Kulam Berurim. The Shalah says that Elul is the Rosh Hashanah of Ina Liyodo Basamti Lacha, which is in Parshas Mishpatim about an Ir Mikla, city of refuge, it kills someone by accident. So that's interesting to ponder because I think for most people, even if we're brutally honest with ourselves and frank and list our shortcomings and mistakes, accidental manslaughter probably won't be among them. Uh, and if it is, we should probably seek uh, legal counsel. So what do we do by saying that Elul is an ear mikla? And yet what emerges is that we have inadvertently killed someone, and that is ourselves. We've, we haven't allowed ourselves to be alive to the extent that we can. And that's what Elul leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Kippur is about. It, it, we may have mistakenly really not given ex life expression to who we really are. Normally, when you go to an Eremiklat, you're unlikely to meet your victim. Uh, if you do, you get out free straight away. But actually, in Elul, we're looking to meet our victim because the victim is us. And moreover, Unlike in normal Irmiklag, we have the capacity to bring him back to life. That is the the request of the Hrein Oh, very powerful. Thank you. Can we get another one from you as long as... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, of course, you know, with pleasure. I mean, uh, you know, there's a very interesting request that we make in Slichos, where uh, we say, uh, Don't cast us away from before you. Don't take... A ruach hakodesh away. That's what we say. And when you think about it, it seems to be maybe a slightly presumptuous thing to ask. You know, it was originally said by David Hamelah, who had ruach hakodesh. So he says, "Don't take away my ruach hakodesh." But for for the rest of us, it just seems to be completely above our pay grade and even borderline delusional. If someone says, "You know, I don't think I'd be doing so well. My ruach hakodesh has been off lately." I mean, that person it was, again should speak to someone, a, a professional, yeah. <laughs> in terms of. He may be hospitalized. Exactly. So I don't think anyone has ever put this on the, on the, the top five issues that uh, are not going well for, 
And yet the truth is, says Shlomo Zaman Orbach, that everyone has Ruach HaKodesh. On the highest level, it's a form of prophecy. Okay, we might not have that. But on a basic level, everyone has it. And what it is, is the, the quality within us to relate to matters of Kedusha. And as we approach Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we ask Hashem, don't take that away from us. Because the extent to which we can really connect and engage with the Yom in the Rhyme is the extent to which our Ruach HaKodesh is on. And I would say further that it's very interesting. Sometimes, you know, the, the davening can be long on Rosh Hashanah and long on Yom Kippur. And to be focused, or, or not focused, but connected with every single word, I don't know. But once in a while over the course of the day, something hits you. It might be the same thing every year. It might be different every year and varies from person to person. What's happening? That's a Ruach HaKodesh moment. That's when you're, you're, you're on, because you're on, so you're in. And... I think these moments can be enormously helpful. And my recommendation would be if there's a, because any line in the Mahsar can be one of those moments. It just depends on you and how you are and all of that. If you are hit by something in the Mahsar, something strikes you, stay with it. Give it a moment to contemplate it, to turn it over, to internalize it, to ponder it, because these are the moments that can really make Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur happen for us. And anyone can do it. And everyone has it. And the more you stay at the time with those moments, the more Mitzvah Hashem, they will stay with you. Oh, very nice. So if we can get another recommendation from you, this is the time of self-improvement. And people oftentimes take Kabbalahs and they don't work and they feel a little bit distraught after a little while or very quick while. Uh, what's your advice that you have for people on how to really bring about uh, real change? Okay, it's tricky, obviously. I think this is an age-old question because it's almost like a catch-22. Uh, if you take on something big, nothing will happen. If you take on something small, you don't feel that anything happened. So you're, you're, even if you succeed, you didn't really do anything and people lose heart. Um, it is also true, I think, that at, at the bottom of this lies the underlying conviction, really, or assumption that people don't really think they can change. So, you, so if, if, that, if you don't have that, you can't really talk about, well, what should I do to change if you don't really think that you can? You know, my father, uh, Isaac Bernstein, who you mentioned it a few moments before, he made an, a really interesting observation. Free will, we would say, I think it's got to be one of the most yasodistical things about you know, being Jewish. And uh, all of Torah mitzvahs is based on free will. It's a yasod of Judaism. The Rambam talks about free will. He has a section of Mishnah Torah called Hilchus Yasod HaTorah. That would where we do, we assume to find Bechira, because it's Yisodi HaTorah. And lo and behold, he doesn't talk about it there. He talks about it in Hilchus Tshuva. And in so doing, the Rambam is saying, because if you put it in Hilchus Yisodi HaTorah, you might think, look, everyone can choose, but once you've made your choice, that's it. There's no going back. How can you really? And that's why the Rambam puts Bechira as a concept in Hilchus Tshuva, as if to say, you can always choose. It can all, things can always turn around. And that is a, that's a major, as much as a person needs to believe in all of Torah, they've got to believe in themselves in that respect as well. That's, that's a great insight. Very good insight. Thank you. So with regards to an actual example, and again, if you hold me to one example, I'll have to choose one. But if the problem is that it's a small thing that doesn't mean anything, sometimes small things encompass great things. I could borrow the expression, they might be a small step, but they could still be a giant leap. For humankind or for menschlichkeit. And I think maybe an example is a personal request at the end of Shemona in the morning. The reason why I think that's, first of all, it, again, it's only for us, but 
if you personalize Shema Nasra, and it's something about that day. So that allows Hashem into your day. It gives you a kind of a bitochen consciousness if you've asked Hashem for something about that day specifically, and if you if you keep it with you, so then that awareness that Hashem is with you as you go about your day could be an enormous thing. And it was really just a request of, you know, uh, half, a, half a minute or something in your Shema Nasri in the morning. And I might add a follow-up to that, to check in again in the evening. You know, Rahana Vassaman points out that many people, they're full of, they always look upwards when they need something, but they don't always look upwards again when they get it. And and, and therefore, the, the two poles that cap this bitochen consciousness are the morning and the evening. You make the request in the morning and then check in and hopefully things worked out, in which case, say thank you. The one who you ask for in the morning is the one you can say thank you. And if it still needs to be resolved, so then it's a work in progress. But, to, but, but, but at least to check in, that I think is a small step that contains a giant leap and is doable. Very good. If I could ask on a personal note, have there been any Kabbalahs that you yourself have taken on? Not not necessarily a Kabbalah, but uh, maybe something that you said, I'm going to work on, and that actually was successful for you. So I'll tell you what I think is um, something that was very meaningful for me, and I, th- and I suggest could be for, for others as well. And that is a very small thing called when someone speaks to you, to be to give them your attention and let them finish. You to hear them out, until the end and let them know that you are listening to them the whole time. People more and more are, are, are lacking in validation and self-worth, uh, etc. They recently discovered how many other people there are in the world, and statistically, they practically don't exist. And you cannot overestimate what you can do for a person by letting you know, letting them know that you heard them. And of course, this is also part of tshuva. You know, Hashem loves people who love his children. So it's in the realm of bin Adam lechaveirum. But it's easy not to do this. We assume that we know what they're going to say. You know, people call it active listening. And the active listening that sometimes is proactive listening, that that, uh, you don't even need to hear that because you already know what they're going to say. They're completely irrelevant to their own conversation. So, but but of course, to, to reclaim the idea that when someone's speaking, that there's someone else who's listening to them, who values what they say, who, and that means who values them. You have no idea how you can set, what, what you can trigger in an upward trajectory for a person who realizes that someone who notices that they exist and cares about what they say. And not be looking on your cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Pay attention, pay attention, focus, and, uh, and acknowledge. Yes, exactly. Very good. Rabbi Bernstein, I want to thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure meeting you and a pleasure speaking with you. Pleasure likewise, Rabbi. Joining us now is Rabbi Yitzhak Breidowitz. Rabbi Breidowitz is the renowned, I should say the, I should say A, but I'm going to say the renowned Posek, a renowned Magid Shir, the Rav of Kilas or Sameach, and so much more. Rabbi Breidowitz, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Rabbi. It's good to be here. So Rabbi Breidowitz, in the midst of the Sarasimei uh, Tshuva, and I uh, would love to hear from you your favorite Vartar. It's tough to choose. There's so much out there, so much beauty out there. But your favorite Vartar, your favorite board for inspiration during Yamim Naraim. Well, um, I, I honestly cannot tell you my favorite vort. I'll tell you a vort that I, I like a lot, that, that moves me a lot, and that is it's a famous story, and some say it involves the Baal Shem Tov, and some say it involves Rav Levi Yitzhak or Berdichev. so either one, but it mentions that there was a Baal Tokea, 
for the Baal Shem Tov or the Berdijavar, who really wanted to master all of the Kabbalistic concepts of the Kiyah Shofar. So he studied and learned for months and months and months and months and months. And finally, he reduced everything to a single sheet of paper. So he would be able to look at it as he was blowing. And as you know, what sometimes happens is once we transfer it to writing, we empty out the brain. So what happened was he lost the paper. And on Rosh Hashanah, he didn't remember a thing. So he blew Shofar in the regular way, and he was tears were coming down his face because he had worked so hard and he totally didn't remember anything. And the Balshevda for the Bredichver asked him afterwards, your chauffeur blowing was so powerful. What was your secret this year? And the person looked so perplexed, he said, I did nothing, I knew nothing, I had nothing. So he said, you know, in Shemayim, there are many chambers, a chamber of the bracha for health, for parnasa, for children, all these different chambers. And each chamber has a key that opens up the chamber. And the kavanas of Kabbalah are the keys. But Amal, sometimes a person doesn't have a key. They can only get in by an axe. An axe can break down every chamber, every door. He said, the axe is the broken heart by coming to God. So you lost the keys, but you had the axe. Zivchei Ruach Nishbara, the korban, that's the greatest korban to God, is the broken heart. Lev Nishbar V'nidavid HaMelech says in the Shir Shul Tshuva, Tehillim Ben Beis. Lev Nishbar V'nidke, a truly broken heart, Elohim says that God does not despise. That means Rabbeinu Yenah says, even the Midas Aden opens up. And I think that's important because... Ultimately, what Hashem wants is our sincerity. It's not necessarily a complicated thing to go through all the complicated structures of everything. I know when we learn Torah, we, we like to sometimes approach tefillah in the same analytical mode as we approach Torah learning. But in reality, I think they say became the Arizal, that the Arizal said, all of my kavanos, all of my very detailed kavanos, are just to get me to feel like a two-year-old baby crying for his mother simplicity. And to me, that's, that's a very, very powerful thing. You know, you got to work very hard just to be simple. Interesting. I, I, along the line, same lines, or similar lines as the, the Arizal, I, I saw one of the uh, spars for Makam Kavua is that you're trying to break down a wall. And if you're in a military, you're a siege, and you bring, bring the battering ram, and you hit on this wall, on this part of the wall, and that part of the wall, and you're again. You're never going to break it down, but if you keep hitting keep on the hitting. same spot, Malcolm Kavu with that Tzvila, yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. when you'll get yeah. through. Yeah, but I, but I do want to add a very important point that uh, many Swarms say, but Rev Cook uh, emphasizes it repeatedly, repeatedly, is that on one hand we talk about the broken heart, but on the other hand we talk about the joy. The joy of Hashem giving me the second chance, the joy of renewal, the joy of being able to clean myself up and be beloved by God. Tshuva should not be something that's sad or something that's despondent. It should be the joy of renewed opportunity. And that's why I think sometimes that Yamam Naraim, Sarish Mei Tshuva, the month of Elul even, has a certain kind of element of sadness that people have, a certain stress, heaviness, pressure. stress, it's Elul, you know, etc. But remember, going back to Elul, I mean, the, the Ica, there are many Ramaz in Elul, but the Ica Remez is Anila Dodi Vidodi Li, that God says, I am for my beloved, my beloved is for me. In other words, the Ica Remez of Elul is divine love. Mm-hmm. And I think once I feel that divine love, then I'll do the work. Yeah, true, it takes work. I got to look into the ugly corners of myself. I got to look into things that aren't so pleasant. But I know at the end of the day, there is that love. There is that acceptance. And that gives me the energy to go into the dark places. Because otherwise, I go into the dark places and all I feel are sadness and frustration 
And, you know, that either gets a person depressed or a person just says, I don't want to go there because it's, it makes me too anxious. Uh, so a person might ignore. So it's not, it's not an uncommon reaction that people just are, are waiting and praying, like for, praying for the Yom Naran to be over so they can get into Sukkot or Sukkot Torah and the like, without looking at this as a golden, beautiful opportunity right. to make things right, to fix things, make them good. Now, talking about looking into those dark places. So part of it is to do tshuva, and uh, part of it is to improve. Tshuva, looking backward, and improvement going forward. And oftentimes they talk about taking on something to improve, a Kabbalah. And uh, people do that, and some years uh, maybe it has success, oftentimes it doesn't. And uh, oftentimes when you get a little bit older and you say, well, I committed last time to dive in with a sitter or to say Birkas Amazon with a bencher and uh, it didn't work except for the first three times came Sukkis and I, I forgot about that. So what, what are your thoughts on, on Kabbalahs? Have you seen things that are, have been successful for other people? And maybe what is your advice coming out of Yami Noraim, looking in the dark places and wanting to improve? So how should we go about that path so we don't have to look back at the end of the year and say, what did I accomplish? Yeah, this is a really a perennial problem. Uh, we enter the new year with all sorts of uh, aspirations, all sorts of she'ifos, all sorts of kabbalos. Then after a while, uh, they drop off and we're back to normal. And then we go through the process again. And at some point, we may lose the energy, lose the incentive. Hey, been there, done that. And they haven't had changes. Now, there is a famous phrase from the Vilna Gaon where he said, you just keep at it, you'll have patzlacha, and that's important. And he makes the point that even if you fail, don't give up. Okay, like the saying goes, you fall off the horse, get on again. He, he talks about tefillah. If the Yetzirah got you in the brach of Slaklanu, you come back with Re'ena von Yenu. And uh, if the Yetzirah gets you in Re'ena, you come back with Parecha Leinu. He says, every second is a new opportunity. Don't look at your failure as meaning your a failure. Okay, this didn't work. You got you had a, a you know a non-productive morning seder. So people might say you know there's only an hour or half an hour left. Okay, you know let's call it a day. No, he says you gotta you gotta have, have a half an hour. Use it. So that's an important thing. But the other thing to keep in mind, you know, it's interesting that um, in Tanakh in the Vim, we have two metaphors of water for tshuva. One is it's a mikvah. God purified you like a mikvah. And the other is, Zarakti Aleichem Mayim Tahorim. I, I throw upon you the waters of the Paraduma. Now, the difference between mikvah and Paraduma is, mikvah is total immersion, total change. Hazaah is a little drop, meaning there are two types of tshuva a person can do. Sometimes a person has an epiphany, a total transformation. But what Hazaah teaches me is that even partial movement. Is very significant. So one of the things we got to do, and this is the same thing we'll have to do for uh, losing weight or exercise. Start small. Take a small goal that you can stick with pretty easily. And then as you build consistency, you get the spiritual stamina to take on something else. So instead of saying, I'm going to dive in Shemona Esrei three times a day with Kavana, which is a pretty big and ambitious goal. You're saying, you know, when I go to the bathroom and I say, Asher Yatsar, I'm going to think about the words of Asher Yatsar, or I drink a glass of water. Shako, I'm going to do that for a month. I'm just going to focus on Asher Yatsar or Shako. And then I think you're, you're then in a different place. And when you're in a different place, you can then move on. Build on the success. Right. So the big problem people have is I think uh, we're sometimes overambitious. We try to take on a lot and then we crash. If we take on something very modest, even if it's very small, very small, 
mitzvah gereris mitzvah. There's going to be a momentum of hatzlacha that builds you up. Hey, I can really do this. Learning the same thing. Something like dafyomi, which I hope if people can do it, baruch Hashem. But for many people, that might be a huge, huge commitment. But Mishnah Yomis, I think, is, is doable for virtually everybody. Okay, so start with Mishnah Yomis and then, then go. Because the thing is, when we, when we have uh, grandiose ambitions and we fail, it's not simply we're back where we were. We're often going to be worse than we were because we have this sense of failure. You need to create Hatzlacha for yourself. And that's my small attainable goal. So, Rabbi Breitowitz, final question, uh, if I could get personal a little bit. What is something that you saw success with? Did you have a Kabbalah, small or big, and that actually uh, worked for you? Well, again, I, I, I want to be honest. I've had my share of failed Kabbalahs, too. I'm not going to say that all of my Kabbalahs have, have worked out. Uh, but um, I think something like uh, learning a parak of Nach a day, as Baruch Hashem, I think, worked, worked for me in a good way. Uh, Mishnah Yomis, you know, again, small things. I mean, Baruch Hashem, I, I try to do other things too. Uh, and sometimes they've been successful. But I think the small, consistent steps have been very, very useful for me. Uh, and that, that's, that's why I urge them on, on other people as well. Rabbi Breitowitz, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm inspired. I'm inspired. Now I've got to decide what to, what to take on. Thank you. Amir Hashem, we should all be zocha to return to Hashem with Shuba Shlema, and it should be with a sense of simcha as the great gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Joining us now is Rabbi Yisachar Friend. Rabbi Friend is a Rosh Yeshiva at Ner Yisrael, Baltimore. He is a prolific author and speaker. I have tremendous hakaras for Rabbi Friend for his wonderful halacha shiurim. I started listening to them 35 years ago on cassette tapes. And more recently, his Parsha Divritori, when I mean more recently, I mean over 20 years ago. And actually, Rabbi Friend just came out with a brand new Sefer. I can't wait to get my hands on it. It's called HaParsha Bahalacha. Uh, it includes Bereshit and Shmos, five sugyas on each parsha. It just hit the stores right now, so you should go out and buy it before it sells out. I can't wait to get my copy. Rabbi Thrand, thank you so much for joining us. Rabbi Wasserman, thank you for having me, and thank you for the free advertising. Um, that wasn't the reason behind this session. Nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, it was a surprise to you. So, uh, but thank you very much. And I've known Rabbi Wasserman now for several years, and we've been in touch with you through email. And uh, this summer, he was in Chicago as I was at a conference, and he asked me to participate. So uh, here I am, and I want to wish everybody a Always a pleasure having you, Rabbi Friend. So, Rabbi Friend, if somebody asked me, what's your favorite Rabbi Friend vort on Yomim Norayim or any, any of your Divrei Torah, I'd have a tough time deciding. I, 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 my brother's been sending around your Divrei Torah for over 20 years as a compilation every year of Shabbos, and uh, they're great. So uh, I, I'm going to turn it over to you and say, Rabbi Friend, what's your favorite, be it a Dvar Torah, vort story for inspiration during Yomim Norayim? So I've been thinking about this. I, I don't know if this is the most famous favorite part. I'll tell you one part, and I'll tell you one Misa. The Pesach says, it's in Pesach in Parsis Rei, Eret Hashem, Asher Hashem Elokecha Daivesh Aisa Tomid. Referring to Eretz Yisrael, it's a, it's a land that the Shalom constantly thinks about, cares about. Tomid Eini Hashem Elokecha Boa, Shalom is always his eyes on it. Meresh Hashana Vadachar Shana. So even though it's not really part of the context of the Pusik, 
But why doesn't it say Mereshis Hashana Vaad Achris Hashana or Mereshis Shana Ad Achris Shana? But why the switch Mereshis Hashana in the beginning of the year Vaad Achris Shana to the end of not the year but the end year Achris Shana? So I don't exactly remember. The, it could be it was the Satmarov Zechut Sadik the I don't remember. But his point was like this: that this phraseology Mereshis Hashana Ad Achris Shana is descriptive of the beginning of the new year, the new Rosh Hashanah, and as the year progresses, the end of that year. We start every year on Leil Rosh Hashanah and the Aser Tshuva. We say to ourselves, this year is going to be different. This is going to be the year. It's going to be Rosh Hashanah. In all the issues that I've been grappling with through the course of the year, the course of my life, you know, and I've, you know, fallen time and time again. But this year is going to be different. This is going to be the year. It's going to be the year. The year. The year that I'm going to conquer these things and I'm going to change these things. And as, unfortunately, as we're all too familiar with, as the year goes by, so then it just becomes another year. And therefore, that's what the Pesach is indicating. Years, the first of the years start out as Hashanah, the year. But unfortunately, it ends as Achrishanah, just another year. The challenge, and this is easier said than done, is to do something about it and and, and to change, to change minimally. Rabbi Fran, I love that Torah may reishis hashana ad shana. So the question is, how do we make it instead of ad acharish shana, ad acharish hashana? What advice do you have about, for example, a Kabbalah? I want to improve. What are your thoughts on doing something along those lines? Do small Kabbalahs help? You know, I'll be Makabal this, Makabal that. We're not talking about, uh, you know, revolutionary Kabbalists and changes, but small Kabbalists, do they help? I think that, I think they do. If you keep them limited, you keep them, uh, you know, doable, then, uh, then they do help. I mean, everybody has to ask themselves, you know, you know, as they say, this is not my first radio, rodeo, and this is not my first, uh, Rosh Hashanah. It's not my first, I've been at this. For a long time, I mean, one of the, this year, this Chaydesh Elo marks sixty years since I've been in yeshivas near Israel. Sixty years—it's a long time. It's a lifetime, you know. I came here as a kid, and now I'm an old man. So, sixty years—am I the same person I was sixty years ago? Of course not. I was a teenager. Now I'm a great grandfather. But, um, but even in the last thirty years, have I not changed at all? I have changed. Do I, am I where I want to be? No, but I've changed. I do things differently. I try to do things differently. Some of the faults that I had, either because, you know, you get older, you get more calm, you calm down a little, whatever it is. But, uh, you know, I have children, Kainahar. I have grandchildren. I even have great, great grandchildren, Kainahar. And you get older and, you know, you have different influences on your life. So, Rabbi Friend, uh, obviously Kabbalah is great, step by step. Is there something that you personally have done that you saw success from? So, I've, I've done two things over the years. One of them is, uh, this was in a suggestion that none less a personage than Rav Shach suggested, and at the recent Adira Atero, which we had in America, in which Rav Neertzi Bergman, Rav Shach Sanola came, he's a man in his 90s, came to came to, to um to America, to Philadelphia, you know, and he sat there with a paper and he read the paper and they said, my father-in-law, Rav Shach, suggested that you, you bench out of a sitter. 
you bench out of a bencher. Now, does that change the world? Does it change you, you know, radically? No. But it's it's another thing. It's another step. And another thing is um, I make a point of making brachas out loud. Now, you'll notice you, know, you can be by very, very hush of a people, but, you know, they make a bracha. Or they, I, whenever I, I, I always try to make a bracha out loud because this way I know I, I'm going to make the bracha. And so, so again, and in terms of me, this against a personality, again, this may be age related. It may be, you know, calm down as you get older or this and that, but I've, I've changed. And I think if a person looks at his back of his life and he's an erlachayid, he, he has changed. So the the age is look look over the longer term, not necessarily just since last year, but over the long term, and you'll see you'll see changes, and that should act as inspiration on a going forward basis. Correct, exactly. We're playing the long game here. Very good. And as far as the story, this has always struck me as a beautiful story. The minute the it's a halacha, Ram Shochanarach, that um, that an ovel. A person who's an oval, either like Shana or Shleishim, he shouldn't daven for the Omid in Yom on Yom Neroyim. Matter of fact, I'll tell you a story within a story. You know, I was in uh, Brooklyn for happened to be for Yom some party on Neroyim, and I went into a, one of the Minion factories. Shari main name was anyway. A guy is daven's mincha for the Omid. And, and some guy in the crowd is is is, is having it is going apoplectic. He's having a fit. You know, he's tumbling this and that. You know, what was his problem? Okay, this is a mincha and a sertichuba. We're not talking Musa or Nila. It's an amincha, plain mincha. But thought is daven as a novel can't daven hasertichuba. It's making a whole taram. And meanwhile, the baltvila, you know, the poor guy, hears this commotion behind him. Do you think it's worthwhile to be a vayish a person to, to 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 do something that's an Indian? But you know, it's this is not the end of the world. This, ha- this happens so often. We lose priorities. And the story that I wanted to tell, which is the exact opposite of this, is there was a yid who used to daven always in a certain steeple in Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim. It happened to be the minion of Rabbi Yisuf Chaim Zonenfeld, Zechatzadik Levrocha. Mora Dara to Yisrael. Anyway, so there's a Yidi Davin and he and he died. So the question is, now here it is, Musaf who should Davin? Sir Yasef Chaim Zonafeld tells his son, Gezog Hinini. Go say the Hinini. Hinini onimi mas That's the start of Musaf. Gezog Hinini. Go say Hinini. So people wondered, there's an awful. And this was, well, he was a fresh Ovel, like, you know, the man had died not me, not much before Yom Neroyim. You know, this may have been even B'tai maybe even Shivos. I mean, Yontav is Mavsik the Shiva. So they said to him, they said, oh, we can daven, how can he daven? So he says, Al-Sadoh Frisha Almona, because there's a new Almona, a Frisha Almona, a fresh Almona, a woman, this man's wife. You know what it is that somebody should get up and say they hit a knee and it's not her husband? You know how painful that is? It's Kedai to be Mavater on the Indian of not having a novel, not to be Mitzar and Almona. You know, I've been here for 60 years. I've I've seen all, all sorts of Balit Fila come and go. You know, when I first came to the yeshiva, all the people that had davened are dead, including my father-in-law. And my father-in-law was the Balmosa. And 
I've seen the, the, the people, the Balitkia are dead. But I know, I know from my wife, whose father, Davin Kinney, I know from the daughter of the Baltikea, Ram Kolevsky, and how he used to say, and every time she hears that, she thinks back to her father. Imagine having just lost your husband a week or two ago, and to have someone other than the, the son say to Hinnini, you have to get your priorities straight. That's what Rabbi Yisim Chaim taught us. Rabbi Friend, very powerful, powerful lesson. Look for the long term. Look backward for the long term and look forward for the long term. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Friend. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Rebbitson S.D. Hamilton. Rebbitson Hamilton is a popular lecturer with thousands of students worldwide. She recently relocated from London to Florida to be the principal of a high school named Shari Bina, a girls' high school. Anyone wants to apply, get your applications in because there will be no more space shortly. Rebbitson Hamilton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. So we'd love to hear your favorite Vartora vort or story <clears throat> for the Yamim Noram. Uh, so my favorite vort or thought, really, for the Yamim Noram, particularly Rosh Hashanah, is something that has saved me for many, many Rosh Hashanahs. So I wanted to share it with you. I don't know if it applies only to women or if it applies to anyone who can't have the ideal Rosh Hashanah. Sometimes you think of the ideal Rosh Hashanah as I get to stand in shul for those eight hours straight with my talus over my head or for women with my face in my siddah. Nobody disturbs me and it's just like a communion between me and HaKadosh Baruch and I get to speak to Hashem and I get to pour out my heart and that's the ideal Rosh Hashanah. And then anything that is less than that often feels like a failure or feels like, well, who am I or what kind of Rosh Hashanah have I had or how will I ever get uh, forgiveness from Hashem if this is my Rosh Hashanah? And, and I think this applies mostly to women, mostly in certain times of their life, but also to people who are sick in hospital or anybody who has to take care of somebody else or anyone who doesn't get that ideal Rosh Hashanah. And how do you deal with that? So this is the Dvatar that's really t- taken me through all those years. Um, you know, one year I was very, very sick. Uh, for many years, I had a disabled child at home. So my Rosh Hashanah just, you know, looked like that. Also, when you're a young mother, your Rosh Hashanah looks like you're just looking after. It looks like another ordinary day. Maybe you catch a davening. So again, this is what has inspired me. So um, often we speak about um, how Rosh Hashanah is being the day that we're Mamlech Hashem. And being, how how do we not, how do we be Mamlech Hashem? How does it not work? Or how does the Yetzirah get in? And I want to speak about Amalek for a minute and I'll just tie it all in together. So in both places in the Torah where it speaks about Amalek, both in Parshas Beshalach and then again, in Parshas Kisese, um, the, the Parsha of Amalek is always connected to a Parsha where we have lacking of emuna. So we say, see, we see in Parshas, um, Bashalach, it says, it says, you know, uh, Hayesh Hashem Bekirbenu im Ayin. We ask, is Hashem with us or not? Is Hashem amongst us? And then, the next passage it says, right? So it, it, and Rashi tells us that it's our lack of emunah 
that actually brings Amalek to, to us. And then again, in Parashas Kisetze, we're actually talking about the Evan Shlema. In, in this parasha, we talk about how weights and measures have to be very exact. And people who don't have exact weights and measures, we're really cheating people out of their money in business. So we're saying it really weighs this and does, and therefore we'll get more money. And then straight after that, we talk about how Amalek, Kavir, that Amalek is going to come. And the, the, the Smichas Parasha here is really saying that when we don't have proper weights and measures, we're lacking emona. We're again saying, I need to try and get more money. Like Hashem is not going to provide for me, so I need to try and get something more. And every time we speak about Amalek, we're speaking about a lack of emona. What is emona exactly? Emona is really saying that I'm exactly where Hashem wants me to be. And this is really the theme of all my shurim that I've ever given, ever, all my shurim at any time. In fact, lots of women um, and lots of people, when they say they've listened to enough shurim of mine, they have this voice in their head that says to them, I'm exactly where Hashem wants me to be. Whether I'm stuck in traffic, whether I'm, you know, doing this or that, this is where Hashem wants me to be. And that's our emona. And really the Amalek comes inside us and says, this is not where I want to be. And we even see from Homan, who was Zerah from Amalek, he was always unhappy with everything, even though he had everything. What was he unhappy about? That Mordechai didn't bow down to him. He was unhappy. He was very egocentric. And what was it? It was always about how I want something and it's not happening the way I want it to happen. And then we are told that we, as Jewish people, as from people, we live in a theocentric world. That means we live in a world where it's not about um, and where I want to be. It's where Hashem wants me to be. So let's say it's Rosh Hashanah and you're very sick and you're in hospital and then you're all the time furious. I should be in shul. I should be davening. I should be having my Shemana Esri and I should be, I should be spending my eight hours in shul and I'm stuck in this hospital. I'm lying in this bed. I can't do anything. And you're so furious and upset and angry. And all of this is Amalek. Because where are you? You're in your hospital bed. Where do you need to be? In your hospital bed. Where does Hashem place you? In your hospital bed. Where are you? Exactly where Hashem wants you to be. And this is the thought that um, really saved a lot of my Rosh Hashanahs because often I was I was in, in a place where I didn't want to be because when you're young and single or at least when I was young and single I was able to be in Shul and Daven I love being in Shul and I love the Rosh Hashanah Davening I love all the, the tefillahs every word and I loved all the, the Nigunim and it really moved me and lifted me spiritually unlike changing the kids diapers every hour on the hour for like eight hours straight that wasn't the same spiritual experience and often you think to, to yourself this this is this is what, this is my Rosh Hashanah. Like, who am I? How am I Mami Hashem in this moment? And really, every person, that is the Amalek speaking. The Amalek gets in there and it says to you, you know what? You're, you're, you're failing. You're failing again in your Teshuvah process. You're failing again in your relationship with Hashem. But that is just, that is just Sheker. Really, the MS is that you're exactly where Hashem wants you to be. And, and we know that the first two days of Rosh Hashanah is actually the first two days of that Aseret Shemit Shuvah. And you think it's the first two days of Aseret Shemit Shuvah. You should be doing Kaparas. You should be doing Avidur. You should be doing Alchet. You should be doing all these things. And yet we hardly ever, ever mention the word fate except in Avinu Malkenu. And even that we're supposed to say it quietly. Why? Because the beginning of Ulta Shiva is being Mamlech Hashem and always being Mamlech Hashem is saying, I am exactly where Hashem wants me to be because if I wasn't supposed to be here, I wouldn't be here. So if this is where I'm supposed to be, then I'm, then, then, then this is my way, my way of being Mamlech Hashem is saying, even though maybe I want to be there, 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 if I'm here, then this is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm, I'm Mamlech Hashem from this place. And this is, and this vort really has helped me, uh, carry me through many, many not ideal in my mind, Rosh Hashanahs, but really I can be Mamlech Hashem for wherever I am. And that is the essence of Rosh Hashanah. 
That's a very beautiful thought. It certainly applies all the time, all year long. Absolutely. We're talking about. But one thing we're not going to say it, I am where I should be right now, is when we're thinking about how we should grow for the next year. So when it comes to that, so how do we. how do you and how do you balance those two? I, yes. I don't want to be here. I want to be there by the end of the oh. year. So there's always the bitachon and the hishtablus balance. Always, 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 always. And this is a question that we have to ask ourselves through our entire life. When am I supposed to say this is where I'm supposed to be? And when am I supposed to say Hashem wants me to push myself a bit more? So I think the best way to motivate motivate myself or motivate ourselves to grow spiritually is to really, you know, often people say, take on something small, take on something small during our Sarah today through Elul, and somehow that's supposed to raise you up. And I don't know, I've tried that many times. It hasn't really worked for me on most occasions because it's not connected to who I want to be as a person. So this is really what I wanted to say. It is very important to make a spiritual plan. And it's very important to think to yourself, who do I want to be in five years time? Who do I want to be in 10 years time? Think of a role model. Think of somebody in your community that inspires you. It doesn't have to be a Robert Robertson. It could be your neighbor. It could be your parents. It could be a sibling. It could be your child. It doesn't matter who it is. But think, when we sit down, we think, not, not think of what more can I take on, but rather start right from the core. Because I feel like what can I take on is the end of this whole, the whole Achesh Nefesh. It's always at the end because the beginning is, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be? It's a bit like when you make a financial plan. You have to think right at the beginning, like, where do I want to be financially in five years time? I want to make, let's say you say, I want to make a million dollars. Okay. So who, how am I going to get there? And then you make steps and then every small step you make where, whether it's hiring a business coach or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Those are the small steps, but really you have a very big vision, a very big goal. And I think most people start with the end step, which is what a small thing can I take on? But if it's not connected to the ideal you, it won't, it won't mean anything. So it won't move you the way it's supposed to move you. The small steps can only move you if you have a vision. So I think that people's lack of motivation is really because they lack seeing the bigger picture. And Elo's the time for us to daven or to imagine of everything we want to be. Who do I, in an ideal world, if I was constantly connected to my spiritual purpose and my spiritual goal and my spiritual self, who would that person be in five years time? And then how do I get there? What's the first small step that will get me there. And I think that is, that is a, that is the way to make the plan. And I think often people start with the end instead of the beginning. And then they're surprised when it doesn't take them there. But when I say to them, so did it work that you, I don't know, didn't eat OUD for that Sarah Sumaita Shiva? Did it help uplift you? And they're like, not really. I just took it on because somebody suggested it. I'm like, but if it's not taking you where you want to go, then it's, it becomes meaningless. And then that action doesn't bring you there. Very good. Choose your destination and then plot the steps to get that to that. Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Very good. Book your ticket and then figure out what you need to bring on the flight. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, exactly. Very good. So you mentioned that you've tried a number of things that didn't work for you. I'd like to hear something that did work for you, a specific thing, or what was your destination and, and uh, what were the steps that you took to get there? Okay, so actually I took on something during COVID that I'm still doing Vlinadim, but this is something that really um, was something small that has changed my whole life. 
it, it has changed my whole life in a massive way. So I'll tell you what happened. During COVID, um, for those first 12 weeks, um, my Bochrim and my husband were home. No shul was open. Everybody was home, which meant that on Shabbos, um, I heard the laning. Now, because I um, have been at home for the last however many years with so many little kids, I very rarely, rarely got to shul on Shabbos. And I, I almost never heard the laning on Shabbos. During COVID, for those first 12 weeks, I heard the laning every single week. My son or my other son or my husband, somebody laned. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm listening to the leaning. I'm listening to the Dvar Hashem. And often, as a woman, you do a lot. There's a lot of things you do for your Yiddishkeit, but I feel like you miss out on a lot of the content um, because you're busy doing a lot of things. So let's say you're busy making Pesach. So you're missing out a lot of the content of the Divri Torah Pesach because you're busy scrubbing your floor. And, and there's lots of things to discuss around that. But I just, I, I heard the laning every single week and then a, a, a shul open, not a shul open, like a, a, a makeshift shul in a tent somewhere. And I said to my boys, no way, I'm not giving up my laning. I want to hear laning every single Shabbos. So when you come home from shul, somebody has to lane for mommy. This is very important. Now, I'm not suggesting that you tie your thing, the thing that you take on with other people, because that's not so great. And I said, really, I need to hear laning every week. I heard it and it was so uplifting. I can't believe I'll be missing out all these years. And, I, and, and, and that's it. I want to start hearing laning. And I remember in my mind's eye. When I was younger, seeing my grandparents who are no longer alive, my father's parents, my Saba and Safta Kimfi, um, I remember every Friday night they would sit together. My grandfather would lean for my grandmother. And I remember seeing that always as a child and growing up. And it was, it was just such an interesting thing that they would do. And why would they do that? But I remember seeing it as something that they just did. Kavu, and they did it for their whole married life, 50, 60 years. They always did that. Anyway, when my boys started laning, I was like, amazing. So that's what I did. Every single Shabbos, they came in from shul before lunch. They would lane for me. And because there wasn't any aliyahs, anything would take approximately 15, 20 minutes. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like in shul where it takes 45 minutes because every, there's Rishon, Shani, Shvi. I would just, I just hear everything. Okay, very nice. And then, um, they did it every single weekend. What I saw happening is that suddenly I felt much closer to Jewish history. I was listening to the, I was listening to like the Kleinstra and what they went through. I suddenly also felt myself get much closer to the mitzvahs that I was keeping because you know, when you learn mitzvahs from a kitzah shulchanarach or whatever, whenever you're learning mitzvahs, you're not hearing the pesukim. But when you hear it says in the Torah, it's a pesuk in the Torah. It's not like somebody that extrapolated something from someone, or you hear about kashrus, or you hear about shabbos, or you hear you hear the mitzvahs. You're you're hearing it straight from the Torah. Suddenly, my kesher to my mitzvahs was much much greater. My connection to what my grandparents did and like a mesorah was brought down. My my connection to my own my own boys who were laning for me every single week, every, suddenly there were so many things that grew from something very small that I took on it. But the idea that you take on something that you feel this is something that will inspire. Now it's not true that it'll inspire everyone. This is, and that's why it's not ever one size fits all. It's not true that something will, but this is something I took on once a week that took 20 minutes maximum that that I did much later on in life, let's say I'm not like 20 anymore, that has impacted my whole life and everything, you know, my whole Shabbos is different. And also my younger kids, you know, they scream and yell and everything. And the, and the first few weeks that I did laning, they kept like, you know, asking me something. I said, shh, I'm listening to the laning. And now my younger kids who don't understand really the laning, don't understand everything, they now sit next to me because they know for these 20 minutes, mommy's not moving. I'm not answering any questions. I'm not doing anything. I'm listening to the laning. And it's it's created like a, a thing that happens in the house. Oh, mommy, every single week, she's listening to me. She can't be disturbed. And even if they don't understand exactly what I'm doing and they don't understand exactly the words they're hearing, they're seeing something that that for me, I saw when I was younger and I didn't understand, but I understood that this was something very important. So when you take on something, um, 
like I did something once a week. So it's small and it's manageable and, um, and it's something that means something to you. And then you see the ripple effects, um, um, you know, in, on so many levels in so many ways. You see that taking on one thing, really, it's true that when you take on one thing with a purpose in mind, it's really something that you're, you're not willing to give up on and something that really changes you. It, cha- it definitely changed me in a very massive way. It should be something that speaks to you. And yes. also, although small, small but big. Yes, Yes. And also to do with your trajectory. Again, where am I going? Who do I want to be? I want to be like my grandparents. They were incredible people. They were so Yoshar and so emestic and so connected to Hashem and had such amazing Ben Adam Lachavero and Ben Adam Lamokhaim. Like, you know, that's who I want. I would like to, when I'm 90, like they, like I want, I wish, Halavai, I should be, you know, like them. So that's also something that's connected to, to a place that I, I want to go in the future. So that's also something that's impactful. Very nice. Rebetzin, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Some very important messages, and uh, we will certainly take it going forward for the rest of the year. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Joining us now is Charlie Harari, uh, somebody who has become a good friend over time, and I am always delighted to speak with you, Charlie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. So, Charlie, quick question for you. Actually, three quick questions for you, but we'll start with the first one. I would love to hear your favorite vort or story or thought for inspiration during Yamim Narayim. Ah, my favorite vart. I think my favorite vart is is the is our laning that takes place during Yamim Narayim, right? So if you notice something fascinating, that the first ever laning of the year takes place on Rosh Hashanah, and Chazal chose, you know, Yom Tif laning, Chazal always met, you know, they, they, they maneuver properly, right? It doesn't follow the usual flow. So every time you see a Yom Tif laning, you know that Chazal was behind it because they were trying to pick some portion to tell us something, right? Why this versus that? It's not an order. So if, to me, I don't remember where I heard it from, but I think about it every single year, is the choice of the first ever laning. Right. What was the first? What's the first ever laning of the year? What's the first laning of the year? It's the first Rosh Hashanah is the story of Yishmael. Shem saves Yishmael. Avram sends him out there in the desert, and Hashem sees him about to die, and he makes a miracle. Right? Like you'd think there were other things you could have chosen. Like you know, I don't know. Who, like who was on the committee? Like the UN? Like who picked? Who picked the actual? Like who went to the tyrants? And like, well, I don't know. We got Moshe. We got Avraham. I don't know. We got Marcus. We got Chris Yamsuf. We got a lot. No, 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 no. You know what you want to start the year with? Like, I got one. Let's talk about how Kodesh Baruch Hu saved you, Shmuel. Right? Would anyone be doing that? Chazal does. What's Pshat? So I heard this word. I don't remember from, from who, but I'm sure from a lot of people. If you look at the story of, of Yishmael, you see something incredible. Rashi and the Mepharshim speak about what took place behind the scenes. When the Kodesh Baruch Hu was about to save Yishmael, the Malachim came to Hashem and said, you got to be kidding me. Like, I'm not telling you to kill him. But, like, you don't got to make a miracle for it. Like, do you know what? Like, let me show you, like, the videotape. Like, let's go to the future. Like, it's not going to get easier. Trust me. This is going to be a problem for your kids. And the Kodesh Baruch who says, you don't know how I judge people. I judge people by Asher Husham. And right now, the way he's davening to me, the tzaddik. Was he yesterday? Remember, he got kicked out because of what he did. He almost killed Yitzchak. I, I wouldn't make him a tzaddik. What he's doing tomorrow? What is he today? The tzaddik. And I think that's the greatest lesson of Rosh Hashanah. You come in with so much baggage. 
There is so much baggage. I was on the phone today with the Rabbi Nancy Sorella, with Moshe Levy, he was telling me that who loves our tefillos and t- Torah so much, but we have baggage. I'm not enough. I'm not a tzaddik. I'm not a rush. I'm not, I'm not. So when you come into Rosh Hashanah, you come in with all that you're not. You can't do tshuva. You don't even think Hashem wants you back. You're trying to get through the day so that you get a good judgment. You're waiting online to the court so that you don't get sent to jail. You're not coming back to your dad. You're not coming back to your beloved. You're not, it's not, a, it's not aspirational. The Kurdish Baruch says where you were. And by the way, when you blow it all sukkahs, because you did last year, you blew it all by sukkahs. I know where you're going is irrelevant right now. Should you do things that get you there? Yeah, of course. Should you co- come up with ways that's going to be different this year? Yes. But when you stand before me in Rosh Hashanah, who you are at that moment is what I'm looking at. So be big. Very powerful message. Thank you, Basher Husham. So you mentioned there about uh, still taking on things on a going forward basis. And you also mentioned, interestingly, but by sukkah, sometimes we just uh, fall apart on those Kabbalah. So what is your Eitzah for people on a going forward basis? Because obviously we want to up the ante for the coming year. How can we take that step forward and actually show some success and improvement uh, thereafterward? Okay, so let's, let's talk about it in two ways. First is what we call guilt-based resolutions that don't ever work. Right, you come to Yom Narayim and say, "I should be. I don't want to be. Like I'm honest, because I wanted to be. I would have been doing. I don't want to be. So let me tell myself, I'm going to be. I'm going to finish. I, I should be learning more. I should finish Shas, or I should never talk Lashon Hara, or I should. I should. I should. I should. I don't really want to, to be honest, because if I wanted to finish Shas, I'd be learning four hours a day. I'm not. And if I wanted to talk Lashon, but it's Yom Narayim time. So I gotta. I gotta like. It all hits me, and I feel guilty. I'm. I'm finishing Shas. Okay. Great. Most of the time, when you have resolution-based goals, they don't go anywhere. Resolution is a, a destination without any plan to get there. So when you make the destination goal in your head, I'm going to do, and then fill in blank with what where you're ending up, it's great. Usually, it's a way to assage guilt in order to get through Yom Hadin. And when you're done with Hashem Hu Elohim and you're two bagels in, you're done. Like, it's usually, it, it probably lasts hopefully even by benching of Matzah Yom Kippur, usually by Baruch Hu of Matzah Yom Kippur, you're done. But let's assume we can't get a benching. So just forget about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, forget that. Because you didn't want to do it beforehand. You're only, you're only saying you want to do it because you feel guilty. But you never want to do anything feel guilty. And as soon as the guilt passes, the king goes back to Shemaim, so to speak. The gates close. You go back to your life. Okay. So how do you make something that works? So let's bleed let, let, let Let's talk a little bit about it. Your brain is neuroplastic, which means anytime you have a thought, the thought continues. The thought creates neural connections, which means consistent thought changes your brain. Changing your life requires you to change your brain. The reason why we speak English is not because we're born with the proclivity to the English language. It's because we practice English. No one has to make us speak English. We don't feel guilty about not speaking better English. We just keep on talking. And so as a result, the brain goes, I got this. Nobody felt exhausted by brushing your teeth because they've been doing it for so long. So I'm going to give you three quick steps. And if you put this into practice, I think it'll change your year. Number one, when you feel the guilt, don't just pick the destination. Allow yourself to ask yourself, if I have to do one thing every day to put me on the path, that designation, what would that be? I want to learn more. I see the guy sitting in front of me. He's a Tamachacham. I don't work like crazy. I'm not working in a factory. I can give an hour a day of learning. I could. I see the lady in front of whatever it is. I feel the guilt. Let's stop worrying about finishing. Ask myself right away. Okay. 
if I'm going to give five to 10 minutes a day to do something, but every day, six days a week, what would that be? Five minutes, six days a week. What would that be? Learn a little more, learn a little slower. Whatever the thing is, whatever the things are, but not from the perspective of I'm only benching out of a venture, from the perspective, I want to get there. I want to get to that place where I could, I want to, I see the destination, but as opposed to only living in the destination, I'm, I'm bringing it back to an actual ritual that I could put into my my practice today that's going to be less than 10 minutes a day, and I can do that. I can do five is better, to be honest. I can do five minutes a day. Now, let me tell you why this is important. If all you have is a ritual, it's not going to excite you. If all you have is destination, you won't know how to get there. If you have both, you'll believe that this thing, although it's only five minutes, is going to bring me closer to that thing. So that'll give you the inspiration, and this will actually change your brain. Number two, pick a part of your day that is already structured, right? When you look at a neighborhood, the way neighborhoods work, is neighborhoods build off other neighborhoods. That's how it works. You add a block, add a block, add a block. Your brain has times that's structured. You wake up in the morning, usually around the same time, do the same things, go to Davin, you brush your teeth, you eat breakfast, something, go out. There's parts of your day that's already structured. Find that part of your day and add five more minutes of structure. Add a five minute add on before, add on afterwards. Don't pick it randomly and don't say, I'll do it once a day. You'll never do it once a day. Your day is crazy. Pick structure and add off structure. But for example, if you're going to chakras anyway and you want to learn, go five minutes earlier, stay 10 minutes later, and you've linked the two. Yeah. Anytime you can link structure, your brain goes, this is our structure time. I got it. I'm not getting emails. I'm not doing it. This is structure time. I can add a drop. I add five minutes to structure. Number three, find any level of accountability, anything from... I'm making a chart in my house and hit and click and just checking a box to I'm going to email my friend every week that I did six out of six to I'm going to send myself a, a, a text. And at the, every Friday when Shabbos comes in, I'm going to look at my phone and see six. Yes, 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 yeses. Some, any level of accountability, anything. What it does is after a week or two, that accountability starts to become real. And you don't want to break the streak. If you have a chart in your basement, you don't want to break the streak. And if a friend's like, hey, just checking in, it's Friday. Did you do your six times this week? And just a yes. And, and you know, it's not money. Forget all that stuff. That's great stuff. That's like next level. If you want to put money involved in Canasas, I don't have enough time to talk about that. But if we do, that's next level. But let's just stay at this level. Once you have three those three pieces in place, then tell yourself, just until Cheshven, Cheshven, don't, don't say till Yom Kippur. You don't need that long. You need three weeks to hold on to a habit. Now, circus is hard. It breaks up your schedule. Three weeks. Not You don't start tomorrow. You start the day after Yom Kippur, and you go until Cheshven. And you say, by Cheshven, I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to change. If you give yourself three weeks to take one ritual where you look up and see a destination that's next to your structure with some accountability, you are putting yourself in a position where you can actually change your life for real. And at the same time, be inspired to make that big difference. That's a very good plan. That's a very good structure for a plan. So, Charlie, give us an example of something that you personally have done. Hopefully, you followed that structure. And did you see success from it? Yeah, let's take learning, for example. Right. I wanted to learn more. Right. I didn't learn enough. I wanted to learn more. Okay. So I needed to add time to my learning. After chakras, wherever, whenever I done chakras, as soon as I walk out of chakras, I feel, and I tried, I tried to start, I started to learn more. And the way I started to learn more was I did, I did it after chakras. As soon as I got out of chakras, I felt like my phone was already off the hook, not working. Okay. What was I going to do? So when I started doing this, this is years ago. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do before chakras. 
So whatever shachos I go to every single day, I picked a certain amount of time beforehand and said to myself, this is what you do. Now, I never got up that, I didn't get up earlier that, at that point, so I'm doing it. So first day, same thing happened. A certain amount of time, same place every single day. I knew where I was. I woke up. I went to the same place in my house. I it was it was I, I died in the same chakras. This was a you know that T minus whatever, right? And then I, I knew I had a rub that I would check in with whatever. And I knew that after a while, if I wasn't you know doing it, he would be able to say something. So I said, I got to do it. So it took me a few weeks. Struggled. Woke up a little late. Woke up a little earlier. I couldn't do it. I'm busy. Uh, uh, whatever. If I'm up early, I should go to an early minion. Whatever. Hold up, hold strong. And after a few weeks of just holding strong, Baruch Hashem should continue. And thank God I've been talking to add, add to that. But at that point, I was like, all of a sudden, that's when I started waking up. I just, that, that's that, that's when my body got up. Now that's when the alarm started to click off. That's what I started doing. And then sit down. And now all of a sudden, you take week after week, month after month, and you're talking about clicking in lots and lots of times that you would have otherwise lost, right? In fact, whenever there's anything new, this is the plan. Like you have to add things to your day. You want to add, you want to add this thing or that thing or call this person or that person. As soon as you add it to your time and you bank it in, you start to click to it in a way that you can't believe. And you and what's really shocking about the system, and because people don't understand how their brains work, neither do I, I only try, is it's amazing how such small accountability matters so much in the future. It is amazing how you can wake up one morning, you can come late from a let's assume you do this. You say, I'm gonna get again, I'm gonna get up X amount of time earlier. And you come back from a chasana and it's middle, it's super late. And you go, I'm not breaking my streak. I'm not texting my friend five instead of six. Who cares? Break your streak. Text your friend. No, 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 no. Once your brain goes, this is what we do, it locks in. It locks in. And then you start, and then what you do is when you have that, and as soon as that's done, like as soon as you're like, I own this, what you do next is you you get the next block. And then you get the next block. And you know what? It's called life. David's just patient, right? He's patient. Just do it right. Build blocks one by one by one. And you will see that if you keep, it gets so addictive that if you keep on building to Shem, it should be Zohar. If you get, if you get into this, you wake up in the morning, you be a different person. And you don't even know what happened. There won't be a moment. You'll, 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 you'll be finishing things. And they'll be like, wow, what happened? You'd be like, I don't know. What do you mean? You don't know. Like, what was the moment that changed your, you ever get that? What was the moment that changed your life? You'd be like, I don't know. No moment changed my life. What do you mean? You're a different person. And you don't even know where it happened because you're doing it right. You're building your brain. You're not, you don't need to wait on inspiration to get you pumped. Do something as long as you're inspired. And then the inspiration goes away and you go back to yourself. You're actually shifting the course of your life. So make a plan, implement it. It becomes a habit. And once you own it, increase. Make sure the plan's right, though. Make the plan correct. Right, exactly. I want to thank you so much, Charlie, for joining us. It should be a wonderful year. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Joining us now is Mrs. Michal Horowitz. Mrs. Horowitz is a well-known speaker who has thousands of shiurim available online. She has been a guest lecturer and scholar in residence and communities nationally and internationally. And most recently, she was selected as a keynote speaker at Chief Rabbi Ephraim Mervis's annual Pre-Yamim Noraim conference. Mrs. Horowitz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rabbi Lasserman. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Mrs. Horowitz, to start off, Seeing that you were the uh, chief rabbi of uh, London, of England, at his pr- annual Pre-Yamim Noraim conference, we'd love to hear your favorite Yamim Noraim board story, Dvar Torah, whatever it may be. Maybe take from what uh, what you spoke about there. So I'll tell you, that's a very, very difficult question because it's hard to ask a parent who's their favorite child. 
It's hard to ask the body, what's her favorite organ? It's hard to say what's my favorite Vartar, but if I really have to choose one, I'm going to Korovor from the great Mashpia, actually in Eretz Yisrael, the Rav Maidach Biederman. So I'm going to begin by quoting the Mishnah Masechus Yuma, the very final Mishnah Masechus Yuma. It's Yuma Parakhas Mishnah Tas. And how does the Masechus end? Masechus ends with Ha'omer Echtov Ashuv, Echtov Ashuv, Ema Spika Biadolasos Teshuva. So the Chazal tells the Mishnah says that someone who says, I'm going to sin and I'm going to do Teshuva, I'm going to sin and I'm going to do Teshuva. He's not going to be allowed to do Teshuva. Teshuva is not a joke. It's a, a voda. It's a process. And you can say, well, I'm going to sin and confess and sin and confess and then everything will be forgiven and in Kippur. Echtov Ashuv, Echtov Someone who thinks that this is a joke, you could spend the whole year talking, or you could spend the whole year with your eye and right, you could hold the, spend the whole year missing Zman Tfila. They say, it's okay, Yom Kippur is going to come, I'm going to repent, he's not going to be allowed to do Teshuva. The Mishnah continues, Someone who says, I'm going to spend the whole year sitting, but I'm going to come to the Itzumosha Yom Mechapra, and I'm going to say, I'm going to have Kapar, I'll have atonement, since Itzumosha Yom Mechapra, the essence of the day grants atonement. Yom Kippur is not a Mechapra for this person. Or if you do a real process of teshuva, the stages are delineated by the Rambam and Hilchus Teshuva. Then, Ben Adam Makom sins between man and God. Yom Kippur is mechaper. Avodah Shabbat Adam Mechaveru and Yom Kippur mechaper. Actually, Rats has chaveru. Sins between man and fellow man. Yom Kippur does not grant atonement until he appeases his fellow. The Mishnah ends, of course, quoting the words of the great Tana Rabbi Akiva, Shreichem Yisrael of Nimimi Rabbi Akiva gives us a chizot that our Father in Heaven is the one who grants purification. Rav Meilich Biederman has a Hasidic style interpretation of this Mishnah, which is such a big chizok to all of us in life in general during this time period of the Yom Rhyme. And this, if I have to ask you, if I'm asked to toil over my favorite word, I would say that this is it. Ha'omer, we have to punctuate the old Opening words of the Mishnah a little bit differently, says Rav Ashuv, A person who says, every time I sin, I will do to show. I don't want to sin, Rebola Shaolam. I really want to do your will. My Neshama Tahar Shanasatabi only wants to do your Ratzon. But I have a Yitzhahara, and I have peer pressure, and I have the Tumma of the Umasoma around me, and it's so hard for me, Akash Baruch but Echta, every time I sin, not because I want to, but Sadiqi Poshav of the Karma, which I mean, Kashul Bera says, Basak and Mishnah. Every time I sin, Ashuv, I'm going to absolutely do Teshuva, and I'm going to say this time, Slachan of Vidiki Chotan, I'm not going to do it again. And then I did it again, Echta, I can't believe it. I spoke to Lashon Har again, Vashuv, Akash Baruch. I really mean it. I'm going to do teshuva. The great of Levi Yitzchak me Berdichev, the great Berdichev, the great defender of Amisah. Every night he would do a chashbon and nefesh. They say, and he would say Levi Yitzchak. You would take what he did correct, what he did incorrect. And he would say Levi Yitzchak. Tomorrow I'm going to be better. And the second half of himself would say Levi Yitzchak. You said that yesterday. And he said, but tonight I really mean it. Whoever says every time I sin because of Kosh Baruch I'm not a malach. I'm a human being. I have a Yitzhahara, but I also have an Ashama Torah. Ashuv, I'm going to repent. I'm going to meet it. I'm going to repent. I sinned again. I'm going to repent. There's no suffix, says Ramaylach. There's no doubt. As many times as I tell it over, it's so moving. As I'm telling it over now, it's so powerful and it's such a chizuk for all of us because we don't want to talk Lashon We don't want to misman to We don't want to be lax on Basar B'chal. We don't want to look away when we know we really have a shy and we choose not to ask. We want to do the right thing. Every time I sit a Kosh Baruch Hu, my Yitz or Tov will come in and I'm going to repent to you. I'm going to be better. Ain't my speaking. There's no suffix. In his hand is the power. He will be granted Kolach Teshuva. And then Yom Kippurim will bring him Kapar. My favorite part of the Yom Narayim.
Very powerful and inspirational. Very inspirational for it. So, so the next question on the on the list is uh, talking about improving, improving on a going forward basis. So oftentimes people take on Kabbalahs and they want to improve. What is your Aitza for people as to what they can do to try to make real improvements going forward in the coming year? I think that there's there might be many answers, but I think there's one answer that is the foundation to all the other possible answers. The number one most important concrete tool, inion, or guide that absolutely will change a person is authentically mutora. It is impossible, impossible, literally impossible, to immerse oneself in the Yam HaTorah and not be changed. By Zevlev Shlita, who I quote from often, by Zevlev Shlita teaches that one who learns and is not fundamentally changed, he's learning Chachma, not Torah. Because one who learns Torah will absolutely be changed, right? So if a person goes to a lecture and he's intellectually stimulated, but doesn't internally change fundamentally who he is, so maybe it was Chachma and it kept his brain young and it kept him healthy and it's very, very interesting. But immersing yourself in the Yam HaTorah will change your Midos. It will change your connection to the Ribbon Olam. And I think that the most important tool, anyone who authentically is striving and looking to change, is to include Limit Torah in their life. When someone commits him or herself to any regular, consistent, and constant learning schedule, they will be successful. But by limit Torah, we mean it has to at least compass, encompass, but not limited to halacha, which I do not teach. So ask your Rav. Halacha, hashkafa, amuna, kirvas, alokim, litav, hadracha, musra, and mesorah. A person is learning properly with an authentic Torah teacher who speaks to them and their mahalach connects. Mayim upon him, upon him, kein, lev, the limit Torah will change them in all of those realms. Yes, we have to adhere to Allah. We have to have the proper Ashkafa. We have to increase our Amunah Ba'kalash Baruch Hu. Closeness to God. We need to know the proper Hadracha, the Derech in life, Musr and Mesorah, and it comes from Limit Torah. Just recently, I was out of town the other week, and uh, I was staying by my cousin's house uh, in Toronto, and he had the um, by Eli Stefanski Gemara on on his on his bench, and on the cover of the Rabbi Eli Stefanski Art Spoken Brother was a fantastic line. I've never seen it before, and I assume it's from Rabbi Eli Stefanski. The Daf Yomi Gemara. It's not about the Daf; it's about the Yomi. And if a person learns with Tmidios, with Hasmadan, I'm not talking only about the Bachum or sitting in Yeshiva. I talk about anyone who learns with a daily. For someone who's not learning, so that's a tool, take five minutes into your life. For someone who's learning five minutes, take 10 minutes into your life. For someone who's learning for 10 minutes, take a half an hour. Not to say I'm on vacation, so we're never on vacation from Torah. A person who is steeped in the Mahalach of Torah, even for a few minutes a day, you know, we make time for everything. The Torah will absolutely change a person, and it will give a person the tools to improve in their Midos, in their adherence to Halacha, and in their connection to the Rebbe Olam. I was recently learning a piece of the Rav, not a new piece of the Rav, but new for me that I never learned before, Rabbi Joseph Isalvei the Rav and the Sefer Halachic Morality Essays on Ethics and Mesorah. And it's uh, the commentary of the Rav, insights of the Rav on Pirkei Avos. And I came across actually this very idea that it is the study of Torah that is the greatest tool to personal change and improvement in Ruchnes. And I quote Rabbi Joseph Isalvei the Rav says as follows, the study of Torah, besides constituting an intellectual performance, is ipsi facto by the very factor act an ethical deed. It not only helps man enrich his mind and accumulate knowledge, Torah is not only for intellectual stimulation, but Torah learning also is a cleansing effect 
upon the person. And that's what exactly what teshuva is. Teshuva cleanses us from sin. It is the process of Torah. It purges evil and lifts one's countenance upwards towards God. Torah is epitomized by water. We know the Gemara tells us that Torah is a mind ala Torah. And the Rav says here, Torah is epitomized by water. Why? Because water not only allays one's thirst, but it removes dirt. It does away with all impurities. Water grants man tahara purification from defilement. And this is exactly what Torah does. Torah learning not only quenches our thirst for intellectual stimulation, but Torah learning also elevates us, cleanses us, and lifts us up. Again, not 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 interrupting Rav, not interrupting the Rav. The study of Torah, besides constituting an intellectual performance, is ipsa facto an ethical deed. and not only helps man enrich his mind and accumulate knowledge, but it has a cleansing effect upon one's personality. Torah learning purges evil. It lifts one's countenance upwards towards God. Torah is epitomized by water, which not only allays the thirst, but removes dirt and does away with all impurities. Just like water grants man tahara, purification from defilement, to, so to the study of Torah. One more sentence. The study itself is an uplifting, redeeming, and consecrating act, regardless of the intellectual achievement. So whether we intellectually become a giant in intellectual capability of Torah, the study itself uplifts us. The study itself redeems us, kapara. The study itself is a consecrating act, kedusha, that brings man to a higher level of closeness to a Kodesh Baruch Thank you so much. A follow-up question to that. What is something that you personally has t- have taken on, a Kabbalah that you saw success with? It really relates to the answer number two, because I find that learning and teaching Torah fundamentally has cha- changed myself absolutely. Um, sometimes it helps to have, you know, one line in mind. You know, you learn one line that you find impactful, or you wait two, that's a long time, a couple of seconds before responding, perhaps, to a comment that you found difficult with. It's hard for me to say any exact area, but I do find success comes. Once again, I'm going back to number two, learning, but I just want to share what the Gedolim recommend. Rav Zalman Arbach, the great Rav Zalman Arbach, was occasionally seen learning from a Musr Sefer in the early morning before leaving for Yeshiva. When asked why he chose to learn Musr so early in the morning, and especially at that hour, he said that after delivering the Gemara Shir at the Yeshiva, sometimes students would bombard him with questions. By studying Musr early in the morning, he was able to fortify himself and avoid losing his patience. That's from the great Rav Zalman Arbach, Zatzal. And also Rav Arn Leib Steinman, Zecher Tzadim Kalash also recommended Musr. And when a Talmud asked him what Musr Sefer would help him improve his Midos, Ron Lieb Steinman replied, do you think I have a classified Musr Sefer the Sahara doesn't know about? It doesn't matter which Musr Sefer you learn from. The main thing is you have a serious desire to improve your Midos. If you try and improve, you will be able to outflank the Yetzirah. Eichazal tells Balatar Misayin Oso, perhaps what will help us all be successful is the serious Ratzon to change. To change. When we have that Ratzon, we will commit with Hasmada to learning the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then we will always remember, Every time I fall, I will repent. Ema speaking, there's no doubt. Very good. Thank you so much, Mrs. Horowitz. Very much appreciate your joining us. Thank you so much, Rabbi Wasserman. Joining us now is Rabbi Naftali Horowitz. Rav Horowitz is a managing director at Morgan Stanley and is the author of the fantastic Sefer, You Revealed, A Torah Path to a Life of Success. Rav Horowitz, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Ari, as always. Thank you so much. So we'd love to start off with your favorite Dvar Torah or thought or story for Yamim Naraim. So I think my favorite thought for the Yom Naraim is um, Rav Simcha Zizel, the altar of Kalam, 
who points out by Amalek, the Pasuk fault Amalek with what they did to Klai Yisrael with the words, which is quite perplexing. Why doesn't the Torah talk about the fact that they came to war and tried to kill us? says of Simchazizel that the Torah doesn't look at the symptoms of a chet. They look at the root of the chet. And the root of the chet was that Amalek lacked Yerushalayim. The Simchazizel says that, therefore, when a person is looking to uproot chet, just like a person who's looking to put out a fire, the fire department knows to go to the root of the fire, always aim the fire extinguisher at the base of the fire. So I think, you know, my favorite thought about the Yom Narayim is, is what is the best strategy to do real tshuva? And real tshuva doesn't just mean to get through the Yom Narayim and not have some horrible gzardin, but I see the Yom Narayim as an opportunity, just like the regulators come into my firm to see how we're doing, to make sure that we're up to par. And, you know, some people just want to pass the test and move on. But really good firms look at that as an opportunity to reevaluate all of our strategies. So I think that, you know, this is a, a beautiful thought for whenever we're trying to uproot something, we should go to the root itself. So based on that concept of re-evaluating strategies, because that's a, a great concept, obviously that's the time to do it, coming into Elul and thereafter, so what's your advice that we should uh, attempt to do that will see success in re-evaluating strategies and trying to improve in the coming year? Right. So the first thing is you, you want to you try to trace those symptoms back to a root. So, for example, a person who suffers from anger, they keep getting angry at their wife, they keep yelling at their kids, and they try this and they've tried that and nothing seems to work. They try holding their breath, they try taking the time out. But really, the root of anger, the Chavis of Abbas tells us, is gaiva. And if you don't work on your gaiva, you don't work on your anivas, you're just going to keep getting angry. You're going to suppress your anger. So the first thing is, look at the symptoms and try to trace them back to a root. The only known remedy that I know that has any lasting impact is studying Torah, studying Musar. And that's truth for both women and men. So, you know, we, we, we make all our New Year resolutions and we say, I'm going to stop doing this, I'm going to stop doing that. But, you know, I've never found that anything works if it doesn't come with a study of Torah that complements what we're trying to actually achieve. So we really have to make Torah study and specifically Musr an integral part of our day as a strategy so that next year when we look back, we've actually made some real change. So if I can ask you on a personal level, what is a Kabbalah, a uh, commitment or a Blinetter commitment that you made that you did see success from in the past? So the commitments that I made were to study Musar a minimum of 20 to 30 minutes a day and specifically to target areas that I needed to work on. So, so for example, Betachem we all need to work on. And, you know, we have to study Betachem. Studying Betachem means we have to understand who HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us, because just to trust that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to do everything that we want when we know intuitively we're not giving back and we don't understand who HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, usually is trying to build a building on faulty foundations. Um, the second thing that I repetitively learn is Shara Kniya. As we talked about, we all have to work on our gaiva. We all have to work on humbling ourselves to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and in turn humbling ourselves in front of other people. So this this works. It works in, in very subtle ways. You don't 
necessarily see the change immediately, but you look back after a year or two or three, and you start to realize that the things that would drive you crazy no longer drive you crazy. Things that would literally kick you in the gut, roll right off your back. And that's when you realize, wow, I really am changing. So you have to be willing to accept subtle changes and you have to appreciate. I think there's a beautiful vart, which I will end with. I, I, I think it's from Rechaim Shmulevitz, but I'm not 100% sure. On the whole chiddish of Rabbi Akiva, who saw the water dripping on the rock and realized that water can go through a rock. And the question is, what's the chiddish of that? We know that water can go through a rock over time. So he says the Kiddush was that what Rekiva realized is that even though the first drop made no discernible difference in the rock, it obviously did do something to the rock because a billion times zero is zero. So if the first drop didn't do anything, the billionth drop couldn't have done anything. So the answer is, is that the first drop also did something. You just didn't realize it. And I think that's one of the reasons why people don't change is because they don't see change right away. They don't feel like they've changed right away. And therefore, they throw in the title and they say, this is not meant for me. And they just go back to being their good old selves. But we have to appreciate that every time we learn something, every time we work on Amida in any degree, shape or form, we have already accomplished something and we have changed as an individual, even if at the moment it's not discernible. If I can ask you another question to keep you on for another minute. Uh, sure. You said that you stick to the 20, 30 minutes a day. You have a very demanding job, nonstop, incessant, constant. How do you stick with your daily kfiyas if you have so much? I know, you, I know you have so much going on. So it starts with habit. You have to break through that habit, meaning you have to break through the point where it becomes habitual to you to do it. Like people who learned Afyomi. I cannot say that I learned Afyomi the same exact time every day because I have a very hectic schedule. So last night I lectured and it overlapped my Afyomi schedule. But it's become so habitual to me that I cannot go to sleep. You know, I've never met a person who skipped lunch and dinner because he was too busy. The answer is you get hungry. And anybody that has a kvias of dafyomi will tell you they literally feel hungry if they go to bed without having learned their da. There's something inside of them that's drawing them and saying, you're not ready to go to sleep yet. So it took me a while to make this a kvias. But when it once it became a kvias, maybe six months to eight months, and I have my safer always on my desk. So my chavis alvavis does not go off my desk. My nefesh achayim does not go off my desk. And sometimes while I'm sitting on a boring conference call where I don't need to add anything, I'll just open it and I'll learn. But since it's right there in front of my face, I never forget that this is something I need to do today. Real kiyom of shvisi Hashem negdi samid. Right at the beginning of Shachan Aruch. It's very beautiful. My, my Rebbe Zechron of Racha um, never went anywhere without his nom and limelech. And I never saw him in the presence of a table where there wasn't his nomenly melech there. And he said that the nomenly melech is his, his, this is the way he's Mekayim Shavisi Hashem Lenegli Samad. So we should all have that one thing that reminds us of why we're here and what we need to work on. And it should always be there with us wherever we go. Rabbi Naftali, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you Thank so you much for joining us. Thank you for the unbelievable work. I'm giving you a Berchus Hedyet. Kaddish Baruch Hu should give you a successful year, a year of gesund parnasa and naches, so you can should continue to do what you're doing for Klal Yisrael. I mean, you as well. Thank you so much. 
Joining us now is Rabbi Aryeh Leibowitz. Rabbi Leibowitz is the Mora de Asra, base Knesset of North Woodmere, and he is also the director of Smichat Reitz. Rabbi Leibowitz, thank you so much for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to hear your favorite, your choice, Tvartora Vort story that inspires you during these days. Every year it's something different, but there's there's one vart that uh, particularly resonates with me, and I try to run it through in my mind each year. I think it's a famous vart, so I apologize if everyone knows it already, but that, that's what we're looking for, a favorite that you can come back to and that you can review in, in your mind. Uh, the Mishnah Masechus Rosh Hashanah says that on Rosh Hashanah, all ba'e olam are hosting the fun of kivnei marun, that everyone in the world has to go in front of a Baruch Hu and he uses this cryptic phrase, Kivnei Maron. And the Gemara, uh, and, and by the way, that phrase makes it into Unasana Tokaf, which is obviously a very powerful piyot in, that we say on the Yom Noraim. But uh, the Gemara says, my Kivnei Maron. What does it mean exactly, Kivnei Maron? And the Gemara says three possibilities, meaning one thing for sure. It definitely means one by one, that there's no hiding, that you can't hide from the Ribbon Shalom, you know, to hide behind a friend and, uh, and and escape judgment. But the Gemara gives three examples of what Kivnei Maron might mean. The Gemara says, it one possibility is that when the troops would go out to war, they'd be counted one by one to make sure that everybody was accounted for. The Gemara says that it could be like sheep, that, uh, that, that that a shepherd has to count his flock. So he counts them one by one as he uh, as he takes them out to graze and takes them back in. And, and number three, that sometimes when you're climbing a steep mountain, so there's this narrow passageway where people can only go through one by one. So I don't remember where I first heard the Vart, but I've seen it in multiple places since I first heard it, that perhaps what the Gemara is telling us is to think about uh, where we are in our own personal development and our own Avodas Hashem on three levels. First, to think about, I don't remember if that was the order the Gemara used, but let's let's go with the order I just mentioned. Um, not only what do I value and what do I think about and what do I do, but what do, what do I think is worth fighting for? What do I get passionate about? Meaning, uh, means a soldier. How, how Do I get passionate about, uh, you know, my favorite team losing a game? Do I get passionate about uh, a Kiddush in, uh, in 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 understanding a Rashba after after working on it, like what, what gets me excited? What really gets me going? And and it, are those the right things that should really tap into my to my greatest passions? And second, like sheep, that a lot of times we're judged not only by what we do, but by whether we've been good sheep to our shepherd. And we have shepherds in every generation. Yiftach Bedoro, Kishmol Bedoro, and we have leaders, we have Gedolei Torah, we have people who uh, who are meant to shepherd the generation on behalf of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and we have, we're measured also by how how loyal we are to them, how uh, how faithfully we, we we follow our our Torah leadership. A lot of times people mean well, but they make terrible decisions because they're, they're making their own decisions and they're not seeking guidance from people who can provide guidance. And third, and maybe most important of all of them, is Aliyah Space Marum. Not only by what I've done, but what my trajectory is. Am I going upward? Uh, am I in a different place than I was last year? Meaning if my struggles this year are the same as my struggles last year, if I'm doing tshuva for the same Averos and I'm, I'm taking stock of the same mitzvos and it hasn't changed my Kavanan Shmonasrei this year is the same as it was last year, and the way I perform mitzvahs this year is the same as it was last year, then what's life really all about? Meaning it has to be a constant, constant aliyah. Very nice word.
Very powerful board. Thank you so much. So the next question then is people at this time of year, always, we always want to improve, but especially now we want to look for things that can really uh, boost us up going forward and hopefully something that we can stick with going forward. There's a mina gasarasimechuva to not eat pasakum, but that's for limited amounts of time. What is something that you've seen that people have had success, a Kabbalah, a concept, an idea that people have really been able to change their lives with just that concept, that idea that they committed to during this time of year? Yeah, so it's it's hard for me to speak for other people, but I can I can speak for myself and what's what's worked for me and what what hasn't worked for me. I think for Kabbalah, you know, you'll always hear make it something very small, something uh, very tiny. Um, Rabbi Yisrael Reisman Shlita uh, said that when he um, had a, I think he had a tumor on his leg at some point, and he needed major surgery. He still walks with a limp because of it. Um, that uh, um, it, when when someone came to visit him who had a similar who had a similar uh, ailment at some point. So someone came to visit him in the hospital and said, what wh- What was your Kabbalah? You know, because obviously Ben Torah is going to have a Kabbalah when they go through such a traumatic uh, traumatic event. So Rabbi Reisman, I think, said to have Kavana about a particular phrase in Tachman, that a particular phrase in Tachman meant a little bit more to him because it related to something to do with the bones. And that was, so it was a particular phrase in Tachman. So the guy looked at him and he said, that's it? That's it, uh, you know, a life-threatening traumatic event like this, and you have one phrase in Tachlan to show for it. And Rabbi Reisman said, "Well, you went through something similar. What was your kabbalah?" And the guy said something, some grandiose kabbalah. He said, "Oh, so you're still doing it?" And the fellow said, "No, I'm not, I'm not still doing it." <laughs> so it is obviously the number one bit of advice is that it should be something small. But I think more than that, meaning that we hear a thousand times that it's got to be something small, and that's obviously critical. But also, it should be something measurable, meaning it should be something that you should know if you're doing it or not doing it. A lot of times someone will say, my Kabbalah is that I'm going to have more Kavana in Shemona Esrei. More, more than what? How do you know if you had more or less or different? Or Meaning it has to be something that you can very, very clearly measure. Meaning if a person were to say, I'm going to do more exercise this year. I don't know if I walked to shul, but then instead of driving, but then I uh, sat uh, in my at my desk instead of uh, shuckling while I'm learning. Like, how do I measure that? If a person wants to take a couple, I'm going to do 10 push-ups every day. Okay, so that I can measure exactly what that is. It should be something that's, that's measurable. I also find that it's helpful to share with others, um, especially for something that other people will notice, because I don't mean like the whole world. I mean, you know, your family, so that you could be held accountable. Like they'll notice if you're if you're not doing it. I mean, if you say that I'm only going to bench from a bencher, and then you're benching, and it's not from a bencher, your family will be passing you a bencher and saying, "No, remember, you're supposed to bench from uh, from a bencher." I also think, even though. The question was about uh, taking on something that could be more lasting. I think part of making a Kabbalah that's lasting is starting with a Kabbalah for a, a finite period of time. Meaning, I, I tell everyone Rosh Chodesh Elul, I just spoke a couple of different places recently, I said, you have a Kabbalah for the next 40 days till Yom Kippur. You could decide after Yom Kippur if this is the kind of thing you can incorporate into your life more long term. But when you start off, make it make it just just uh, from Rosh Chodesh Elul until, until Yom Kippur. If you're starting off now in a search, you may tshuva. So let it be from a search, you may tshuva until after some chastorah, meaning let it be something like that, and then and then see if you can go forward with it, or see if it needs to be tweaked a little bit. I'll tell you, for me, what what really made a difference for me is uh, suggestions that I heard from Rabbi Reisman Shlita. Um, you know, I told Rabbi Reisman, Reisman's a Shivan Taravidas. I, I have no natural connection uh, to him because I'm a Yeshiva University Talmud. I'm a, you know, so I told him, like, I have no shortage of great rebellion. You know, Baruch Hashem, I have uh, Rav Shachter 
Shlita, Rav Ulich Shlita, Rav Asher Shlita. So, but uh, somehow I just, there's something about him that he's able to offer Hadracha in a way that, that on, on, particularly in this Nakuda, of Kabbalists that are reasonable, that are measurable, and that are impactful, that, that have mamish changed my life. So I'll share with you uh, one or two, maybe three. Uh, that you've done. We'd, li- we'd love to hear you personally. What what things have you Yeah, so I'll tell you what, what I've incorporated from what Rabbi Reisman has suggested. He suggested in the name of Rav Pam that uh, when you say no delcha in Benchi, so you're thanking Hashem for a whole bunch of things. Al, 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 on this, on that, on that. So he said, instead of just running through it, count it out on your fingers as your every al, just every al, just count it out on your fingers. Sometimes you'll forget and you'll only start counting it, you know, by the third al, but that's okay. Pick it up whenever you remember. Just start counting it out on your fingers. I always tell people when when I say this, I'm not going to tell you how many there are. You'll tell me, you'll come back to me and you'll tell me how many there are. And in, in, in modem in also, there are also, in modem, I'll tell you, there are four. There are four al's that you say of what you're thanking the Rebona Shalom for. It will make you much more mindful of the various items on the list of what you're thanking Hashem for, and it'll make you make you much more grateful uh, to the Rebona Shalom. So I found that to be very, very impactful. That that Another, is a very good, that is a good. I actually do that during Shmon Asrei for every bracha that I have kavana at the end, especially at the end, Baruch Hashem, I count. And that's uh, right. Very good. You know, there's actually a discussion in Poskim whether you should do that by by by, by slichos when you're saying to count them out. Some of the Poskim suggest that you're actually supposed to count them out. Others say, no, don't do that because it's a machlokas rishonim. What the thirteen are? How do I identify the thirteen? So you may get it wrong if you start if you start counting them out. I mean, our Hashem, Hashem, two of the midasarachim are they only an introduction? Is it only one of the midasarachim? So, um, but but uh, but generally speaking, it's a good idea. Um, Rabbi Reisman also suggests that each year he said he takes on three words of Shemona Esrei, just three words that he's going to get super intense by those three words. I think he was inspired because he was once davening next to Rav Yashiv, uh, Rav Yashiv used to daven very loudly, even his silent Shemona Esrei, loud enough that you could hear it. So much so that the only way to concentrate really if you were davening next to him was just by saying word for word along with him because otherwise you're going to be too distracted by by, by listening to him. So he said that Rav Yashiv davened pretty quickly. Um, he did not daven very slowly. He davened pretty quickly, but he got really super intense by three words of Shemona Esrei, and he slowed down significantly when he said the words Hamachazir Shchinaso Letzio. So I think Rabbi Reisman took that as a cue that each year take three words and say these three words are going to be my words of Shemona Esrei uh, this year. And he said someone criticized him if you take only three words a year, when are you ever going to have? Uh, concentration for the entire Shema Nasrei. So he said, the Rebbe Shalom will decide how long I'm going to live. Hopefully it'll be a school for Arichus Yaman, but I'll take, I'll take three words a year. It's like it doesn't, for mean, me personally. it doesn't mean that he's not paying attention to the rest of the Shema Nasrei. Right, right. Of course not. Of course not. He's just being, uh, you know, uh, self-effacing. But uh, it's his style. But um, I, for me, this past year, for example, um, I took the words, meaning in Modem, we're thanking Hashem for all the goodness about everything and in broad terms, but then we get specific, Erev, Avok, Ritzarayim, and I think about the three contexts within which I live my life, meaning Erev, hopefully I'm usually home uh, in the evening, so I think about my family and my my home life. Boker, I'm in shul, where Baruch Hashem Zohar to be the Rav of, an, of, a, of a wonderful kihila. so I think about the kihila and how grateful I am to have that, those connections and that opportunity and those relationships, and Sarayim, all day I spend in yeshiva with the Talmidim, so I think about all the Talmidim and those those, those relationships. 
groups. And just to take those three three words that uh, that are that year's you know special words uh, to incorporate as uh, year as as times of special kavana. Very beautiful thoughts. Erev Avokavitzorayim. Very powerful. And fill your day with useful and productive things so you can uh, really peg something to each of those words. All the vibe we should all, yeah. Rabbi Lewis, again, want to thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure speaking with you. My pleasure. Thank you. Joining us now is Rabbi Yaakov Neuberger. Rabbi Neuberger is the rabbi of Congregation Beth Abraham in Bergenfield, New Jersey, a position he has held since 1990. He is also a Rosh Hashiva at Ritz. Rabbi Neuberger, thank you so much for joining us. The COVID to help people prepare for Yom Neirom. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you. So, Rabbi Neuberger, your favorite Vartara Vort story. When I ask that, what comes to mind that says, I love this one that can provide inspiration to others? So for me, the most important is really a mahalach, an approach, which I, um, which for me has shaped, um, my Yom Neiram and it made a huge difference in my avod of Yom Neiram. It's, it's an approach by the Sifse Chaim, Chaim Friedlander, the Pontevision Mashkiach. And he points out that how do we bring the two themes of Rosh Hashanah together? The theme of Malchus, being Mamlech the Rabbonu Shlolom, and the theme of Yem Hadin. Because many people, I often find that it's pulling me in two different directions. So, Chaim Friedlander points out, in a word, that when we are Mamlech the Rabbonu Shlolom, we are at the same time being evaluated as to how good an Evid I am. And he develops it from the Yom Holedus of Paro points out a ritva that says the gives us um, examples of Malchus in this world to understand more about the Malchus Berikia. So Paro was celebrating his coronation, his monarchy, his position of being being on the throne. And the day that that was being celebrated, at the same time, says, "Well, how good is each subject? How good is how good is each uh, member of the cabinet? Are they are they?" valuable members in his cabinet. So that's what is happening in Yemen Iran. We are Mamlech the Rabbonishalam. We are accepting his uh, sovereignty and our our uh, our 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 Abdus of the Rabbonishalam. At the same time what we're being what what is happening is we are going through an evaluation of how good an Evan I am. So for me it just brings the the themes of the day together. And it made it, it makes my my avoda much um, much much easier to to work on. Uh, let's make sure we're in the cabinet and have a place at the table. How, very, how, how valuable our avoda is, how, how sincere it is. That's very 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 impactful. Thank you so much. So next question is: uh, People obviously think about self improvement at this time of year. What can I do? Kabbalahs? How can I improve? But that is also accompanied by remembering the past that I tried X and I tried Y and I tried Z and you get to the end of the year and you don't have X, you don't have Y, you don't have Z. And it could be that you get uh so you don't have X, Y, or Z, or it could be that you get Motsa Yom Kippur and you're already out of steam. So what, what is a, a thought that you have an eight so that you have as to how we can implement something um, and make it stick and feel good about it? So to feel good about it is that the, we have to appreciate if a person made a Kabbalah and he made it till Hanukkah. That's Kabbalah. He made an improvement. And of course he wants, he's, 
he wants to have it as a as a, as a sustainable improvement. He made it till Hanukkah. That means that the uh, end of Tishrei, all of Kislev, he's he's uh, he's worked on himself. He sacrificed. He came. He did something for the Rebbeinu Shalom. So that should not be uh, diminished. Or that shouldn't be uh, discarded. Um, the fact. So my thinking is that a person should always come with great optimism that uh, this year will in fact be different, even though I've done this over and over and over again. But the part of not getting burnt out is that I'm growing, that I'm moving in a different direction, that I'm trying, and all of that is Kajbrochu sees it. Kajbrochu sees in my heart, I would love to make this a permanent change. Kajbrochu sees that I'm putting into place things that, that as far as I can understand, will be a permanent change. Because Baruch sees that this year, may, last year I made it to Hanukkah, this year I'm going to make it to winter vacation. Right? Okay, Gavaldi, so I made it further. So, um, so I, I, so I, I don't think that one should choose Kabbalahs based on the sustainability of the Kabbalah. I think one should look at what is the area of life that disappoints me the most and or the area of life that disappoints other people the most. And let's see whether I can make a tikkun. I can fix it up. Very good. Very good insight. So it may not be the, the standard uh, birkas hamazon out of a bencher. It's something that you need to work on. It's a subjective thing and it's not an objective thing that's going to work for everyone. Choose something that's going to really work on yourself, something that's subjective and individual Person to you. should work on, on their midos. And I, I think that, uh, I think we all have a list of areas that we want to, we want to improve. And whenever, God forbid, shouldn't be a situation where there's an ace tzara, so people are, um, encourage people to make a tikkun. So in our minds, we have tikkun we want to make. So then we, we start working on the, on the list. I once gave a drasha where there was an ace tzara, and, uh, I got to the point where he said, I think we should all make a Kabbalah. And I think this is what, the, what we need. And I stopped. And I said to the Balabatim, what you're afraid, I'm going to say next. That's what you have to consider very seriously. <laughs> wow. He didn't ask people to raise their hands and say, who's... <laughs> no, your next question. <laughs> <laughs> and and a, a personal question. Something that you have taken on, an area that you decided I want to make change or improve on, and, and how did that work for you? So I, I think that the areas that that I've tried to make tikkun in also come with disappointments on the way. That also I do find myself revisiting similar ideas uh, on Yom Neiram, and after many years, and sometimes I come to a point where I say Baruch Hashem, I'm I am in a different place on this Nakuda than I was. So I'll give you an example that um, for me one of the greatest uh, Nisyonos is, um, receiving Mishulachim appropriately because the, the numbers, because, you know, we always think if only they would have come when I'm not in the middle of the Sugya. If only they would have come when, but there is no, there is no time when I would have said, this, you came at a great time. This is a colleague, right? I have all the time in the world right now. That just doesn't exist. So one has to get to a point where it's always going, you're always going to be in the middle of something, but it's very, very hard. Um, and I was telling you about it, it was hard for me, and I'm giving their money away. I'm only giving a little bit of my money away. So I can only imagine how hard it is to, to receive people and to try to work out ways in which one can receive people to suffer raka because everybody's coming with, uh, almost everybody's coming with desperate stories and they do not want to be in the streets and uh, they may get hardened 
buy it and it's uh and when and, and the disappointments are are great because a person can be extremely generous but the, the recipients are often trained have self-trained to say look maybe it could be more so it's a it's a i find it for me one of the greatest incentives and uh and for me you know if i say you know over the years i made it uh I made it till end of Tishu without getting upset. I made it to Chagah getting upset. And, and Baruch Hashem, over the years, I'm able to, to push that, uh, till, you know, something happens and, and I am disappointed. But, um, so that's, a, that's an area of personal and it's, uh, and again, I have it easier than other people, but it's something that, that I, that if I'm successful at it, it's because it's, it, it's, I'm, over the years, I've just pushed the, the um, ability to be patient and welcoming and receiving further and further down the road. Mama and said, different techniques, different techniques of having showed Kabbalah and having... Mama said, I was learning with my Chavrusa today after davening, today, and uh, we were learning uh, various issues in, in Hilcha Shabbos, and on the seventh Meshulach that came in the middle of our learning, I said, I really can't hold cup because there's so many interruptions here. And I didn't get upset, but I, I made that comment. So I, I guess I really needed to hear that. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us, Rabbi Neuberger. All of our aspirations to grow and to become uh, stronger and being the, keeping the return of Bari. Amen. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Mrs. Sivan Rachav Mayer. Mrs. Mayer is an Israeli journalist, news reporter, and TV and radio anchor. She is also a popular speaker. She travels around the world as a scholar in residence and is a prolific author of Sfarim, including on Parsha and Chagim, one very relevant to us. Days are coming, a journey through the Jewish year. Mrs. Mayer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to get you between your travels between countries, so we greatly appreciate it. You've written, you've written extensively. I actually have one of your Svarim on Parsha as well. So we'd love to hear your favorite Dvar Torah, Vort story about Yamim Noraim. Um, I think this year, something that I, I love to quote in many of my, my lectures, and it touched me. I think this year, uh, the best idea, the best story I heard is something said by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. You know, the, the prayers are long. There are so many mitzvot, so many ceremonies and customs and things we're supposed to do uh, during this month. How do you deal with it? How, what's the approach? I mean, is, is it a list of, of tasks and missions, or is it something more meaningful? It's not just a to-do list. And he shared a story, Rabbi Sachs, about three people working in a very hot day, carving stones they were uh and, and someone asked them the um all three of them what are you doing the third the first one said i'm carving stones the second one said i'm earning money i'm getting paid this is a higher level i would say the answer is higher because he's not just describing uh, you know in an accurate way technically uh uh the the business of carving stones he he, he, he says I'm, I'm earning money i'm getting paid maybe i know the salary he uses it for education for the kids or uh, renting an apartment with his wife it's it's higher and then the third one is asked, what are you doing? And he says, you know, he doesn't uh, say I'm carving stones uh, or I'm earning money. He said, I'm building a palace. 
Meaning, I understand the meaning of every small thing, every tiny thing I do. It's hot, it's hard, it's frustrating, it's boring, but I'm building a palace. I know it's meaningful. And Rabbi Sachs said that's, uh, that should be our attitude toward everything we do in the world of Yiddishkeit. We're building a palace, even though sometimes it's not the most pleasant thing. So in a way, I, I wish us all to understand that what we're doing now, during the month of Elul and Tishrei, we're building a palace together. Every minute counts and every de- one deed counts. That's that's something I heard this year and really, really influenced me. So look at the big picture. Don't look at the small, but don't look at the details. Look at the big picture. Exactly. Everything, everything you do is important. Every small detail counts. We're all think of Am Israel. I just came back from Gibraltar, going to New York. So many communities doing, you know, you see the mixture. You see the whole, uh, I would say, orchestra. You see everyone together. It's, it's really we're all important. Very good. So the next question for you is what have you seen? to help people in being successful in improving for the next year? Wow. (laughs) I'm not an expert. I'm not a Robertson. If someone has a a good tip, I'd love to hear. Last year, I completely failed. You know, people usually, uh, they do like, uh, they take on a a Kabbalah. They, they upon themselves, they, something to improve, a Kabbalah. But uh, I completely failed. I I remember what I promised on the month of Tishrei, Tafshin Pei Gimel. So I'm going to try once again. I I don't want to tell, you know, uh, uh, all the listeners what, what's, what is it about? But it's really, it's, it's something small and meaningful. And I constantly forgot, or I don't know why and how. So I'm not the best person to ask. Maybe, maybe because it was a secret, because it was something private, just between me and, and Hashem. You know, my husband. Maybe, maybe that's that that could be a good, you know, path, a good a good advice to to, to share it with others, and that way they will. I don't. They, I don't want to say they'll be your policemen, but yeah, they will be your partners. They'll they'll they're your coach. They they will help you. You know, sometimes reminders or or just taking care of you. You know, it just you know it's it's their responsibility. Maybe this year it should be something with the family, with the kids. Maybe that's a good advice for 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 others. You know, to to, to improve ourselves. Really, you know, to um, usually people say take something small, like baby steps. You, we always say it. We need more. Maybe maybe partnership, doing it as a family with friends. Maybe that can be a good direction. You have to be mechay of yourself. You have to put yourself in a situation that you have no choice. That's what they say the beauty of a chavrusa is. If you have a proper chavrusa, you have no choice. If he's showing up, you know you have to show up. I had a chavrusa many years ago, and he would show up. And when we wouldn't finish the daf, we were learning Erevin together, which is very hard. And it got uh, to the point that we'd go and learn and unlearn. And I'd say 10, 30, 11, 11, 30 at night. I said, I got to go. I got to quit. And he'd stay there. He'd stay there. Wow. Great Mikhaev. And uh, I guess that's the concept here is find somebody that's going to keep you to doing it. Exactly. Exactly. All experts when it comes to researchers about, you know, uh, self-improvement, motivation. It's not we're not enough. We, we need the kihila. We need a friend. We need a rabbi. We need a mashpia in the world of Hasidut. And we need someone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you talked honestly about your having failed. So we'd love to hear about a success that you've had. A Kabbalah. <laughs> A step that you took, something that you took upon yourself that actually worked for you. Wow. I think sometimes when you feel so bad about yourself, that can be the minute things can change for the best. That can be the revolutionary moment. I'm going to share something, you know, maybe maybe for, um, you know, English speakers, Americans, maybe they they do not remember. I remember. I was uh, covering the Supreme Court here in Israel as a reporter. And I was there almost every day. And I covered two trials. Uh... Ehud Olmert's trial, the 
former prime minister, and Moshe Katsav's trial, uh, the former president. They both ended up in jail. I know them both in person for years. You know, I covered the Knesset, the parliament, and I was really involved. I was like every night with coops, you know, and and, and, and the, the investigations and the testimonies and the re- everything was like, it, it became a, a huge part of my life. It became me. I was identified. You know, the people in, in Israel, they watch TV. They saw me telling them what's going on with their prime minister and president. And that was too much for me. I realized this is not my shlichut. Hashem, really, I think I was sent to this world to do other things that are in a way more meaningful, uh, not just covering, you know, others, people, failures in a way, you know. And uh, that was, I remember one day I was so frustrated sitting there for 12 hours live broadcasting, you know, Olmert said this, the 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 judge said that, the attorneys, and I realized I need something new in my life. It was like an aha moment, you know, like it, something was like, a, I can't say it was like, a, you know, a holy moment, but yeah, maybe out of the 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 um the frustration i realized i need to learn something daily daily torah learning i became religious years before but 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 you need the torah to be something with with kviut in your life the daily routine and i decided i'm going to start learning seriously and i started learning khitas khumash tehilim the acronym of khumash tehilim and tanya khitas and uh more than 10 years later, I daily learned that the daily portion we read in the Torah, you know, you finish the Torah with Rashi every day, the daily Tehillim. I'm not, you know, you see those old old ladies at the Western Wall at the Kotel saying Tehillim. It's not me. How can I finish one Tehillim book a month? It's possible if you say three, four chapters a day. And the Tanya, even though, you know, I do not always understand, I do it. I read it daily, daily. So it changed my life. I remember where I, you know, where I was standing. And, you know, I remember maybe thanks to Olmert and Katsav, you know, that's part of their zchuyot to, to the world to come. That's part of their, the good things they did in this world. You know, sometimes you feel you're stuck and you decide and you, you just, it changed my life. Seriously. So yeah, uh, so look for, you know, those moments and, and catch it, you know, try to really make it and change your life. Don't just, uh, there are many excuses, many but the next day, I seriously, I woke up in the morning before I went to the court. I learned those three, three shurim. How did you motivate yourself to stick with that for 10 years? Let's talk about the first week, the first month, the first three months. How did you motivate yourself? Wow. Um, first of all, if you miss one day, you could, there's always Shabbos for, you know, sometimes I have two, three days to catch up. It's, it's okay. I think it's practical. It's, it's tachless. It belongs to me. You must find something that... Uh, speaks to, that is relevant to your schedule. You know, it's not a daily Tehillim book. I'm not, I don't have the time. And I have Baruch Hashem, five kids and five jobs and, and you know, uh, podcasts in English with Rabbi Wasserman. I, I need to be realistic. So, so you must choose something. I think it's five, three minutes. I think it's a variety. It's, first of all, it's a holy thing, you know, led by the Rayats, the earlier Chabad Rebbe. There's like, you feel the blessing of when you do something that m- my husband learns the daf. You can't, if you really start, Baruch Hashem, you can't stop. You, it's a community and, and, and you see, you feel satisfaction every time you finish, you know, the, the parsha. How can I stop? Seriously, how can I stop? I, you, you want me to stop learning the, the daily, uh, portion? It's like, it's cra- After you start, you must find something that is practical and you love it and you feel you did something. And, uh, you'll, you'll stick to it. I mean, and if you don't find something else, you must find something that is, the uh, Torah speaks to everyone. You just have to find your, you know, uh, your own personal journey. I think the second point that you said is really all critical, but especially that seven point, second point that you love, it's something that you really enjoy. Yeah. Because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to do it. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. Not just enjoy, feel. You remember the 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 palace we started building? Uh, you feel you build a palace when you learn that the Rashi. You feel you're part of a the Jewish palace. You know it's a uh, and and you feel you you're building it when you say Tehillim. By the way, think about it. When you say it, the Kavana each time you think about something else. You can say it during COVID nineteen. You can say it when there's God forbid a terror attack in Israel. When there's um I don't know a disaster in Turkey or five. Elections in three years, also a disaster. You you can say every time or something personal in the family. Or sometimes, you know, you, you have your son's bar mitzvah and you say to him with, with joy. King David, you know, he put everything in, in it. You just, it, 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 it's, you know, yeah, as you said, it's fun. It's fun. Very good. Well, Mrs. Mayor, we want to thank you so much for joining us. It's really a pleasure having you uh, speak to Art Seaboard. Thank you so much. Thank you very much and good luck. Thank you for the pleasure. Toda. Joining us now is Harry Rothenberg. Harry is a very successful personal injuries attorney, but what he's most known for and spends a good amount of his time is speaking internationally for nonprofit organizations of all types. He is a sought-after speaker, very effective in Kiruv, and he definitively, more than Meister, is not only his uh, his income, but more importantly, his time, probably a Chomesh or more. Harry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Great to hear from you. It's a pleasure. So, Harry, love to hear your favorite vort, your favorite vort, sorry, or uh, spot for Yamim Noraim. So what I like to think about is the following. One of the iconic moments in the Torah is when Abraham shows Hashem that he's willing to sacrifice anything. He's about to sacrifice his son, his beloved son, Yitzchak. He's prayed for him for decades, and he finally had him. And now God says, this is it. You got to bring him up as a sacrifice. And right when he's about to do it, the angel stays his hand and says, calls out to him, Avraham, Avraham. And the measure says that at that moment, the Avraham down here on earth linked up with and met the level of the of the paradigm, the ultimate Avraham up in Shemayim. And what we're supposed to learn from that is that there's an ultimate version of us up in Shemayim. And our job down here is to get as close as we can. And I, I often wonder, like, what would that be like if you got a chance to spend 24 hours with your ultimate self, you'd be, I'm sure, absolutely blown away. You wouldn't believe it. You would not believe what you're capable of. And and this really came out in a recent conversation. I was at a wedding a year or so ago, and I was at a table with another pe- number of people who were involved in Kirov. And one of them was bemoaning. He said, you know, sometimes it works so great. You see the, you know, the, the gains people are making. And other times you meet someone and it's just like, you just don't see any growth. And I stopped him and I said, let me ask you a question. How long have we known each other? He said, I don't know, maybe five years or so. I said, that sounds about right. Have you noticed the growth in me? He said, what do you mean? Like, how can you compare that? Like when somebody's, you know, just becoming from, you can see a yarmulke, it's filled in, Shabbos. I said, oh, so you mean to tell me that in five years, I couldn't have done anything that would make enough of a difference. You'd say, wow, Harry, I really see that difference. And like he was hemming and hawing, like he didn't want to make me feel bad. So listen, I'm saying it about myself. And that's what we all have to feel um, that I just didn't do enough. I did not, whatever I did this past year, it wasn't enough. And there's still a massive gap between who I am right now and who I can be up in, uh, up in Shemayim, the best version of me. And that should be our constant striving is to have the Harry below, the Ari below match the true potential of each person above. And that's ob- obviously a subjective thing. Everyone has a different potential above and we should be striving to match that as, as much as possible. So that leads to the next question then. What advice do you have for people to improve below so we can try to match our potential above? 
So I think there's another story about Avraham, and it's one that we we all know. We're all familiar with it. We read it every year, and I think we read it, and we immediately forget about it. And we think that that is no connection to me whatsoever. We have this story, and, it, and it's a pretty lengthy story of Avraham davening to Hashem to spare the inhabitants of Sodom and its surrounding four cities. And you're talking about <laughs> there are Rishayim, and then there's Sodom, okay? You know, Hashem went down and through you know, fire and brimstone, sulfur, destroyed four, only four, actually spared the, the fifth city, no doubt due to Avraham's tefillahs and, and the Lot's request. He wiped them off the face of the earth through miraculous means. And here's Avraham praying with Hashem. 50 people, 45, 40, 30, 20. We spare them if there are 10. And we see that story and it's wonderful. And it's how we, 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 what we get to see about Avraham and what he's like. And then we just, and then it's, then it's over. And do we ever think about that? Like, do we ever spend any time praying for the wicked people in the world? And forget that. If we're not going to pray for the wicked people in the world, how about for our fellow Yid, right? You know, you want to be a Klal Yid. You want, you want a good judgment on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The, the way to do that, Chazal say, is you make yourself as indispensable as possible to as many people as possible. And one great way to start right now, because this has been so painful for me, is you see the rift that's going on in Eretz Yisrael. And it's obviously a rift that's going on elsewhere in the world between um, different camps of, of Yidin, let's say, you know, those who are uh, observant Torah true and those who are more secular. And that should pain us to no end. If Avram was sitting there praying to God for wicked non-Jews of stone, can't we at least pray for those Jews? Most of the time, through no fault of their own, they don't know any better, who aren't even in Shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Can't we keep them in mind? Because no one else is praying for them. They're not praying for themselves. And you and and we tend to just, you know, cast them out. Like, oh, they're, you know, they're there, there are disputants, there are rivals, there are nemeses, you know, they're against us. Like, pray for them. You know, Yonah's on that boat. We're gonna see it soon on, on on Yom Kippur afternoon. And and everybody is praying to their God. And the boat's swaying, and they say, Well, what, what, what are you doing? Wake up, pray to your God. And he's to throw me over. And they don't want to throw him over. And what he, this is an ultimate cure of moment, right? Like Abram would be like, guys. What are you doing? You're all praying to your God. Stop praying to your God. Stop your ridiculous idol worship and we'll stop. And he says, it's me. I'm the reason. Throw me overboard. And that's what we have to say. We have to say that it's me. It's us. And it's our fault, whatever's going on. And we have to pray for them. And I don't think there's anything more powerful. Pray for, at a minimum, for those yin that can't pray for themselves and pray for the people among us, the people we know who are all facing similar issues and worse, whatever you're going through, whatever difficulties, or somebody who has it worse, pray for them. And whatever struggle you have, we all, when we look in the mirror, we know, we know, I know, okay? I don't know what you're struggling with. I know what I'm struggling with. And I know that I'm not the only person, whatever that struggle is, and we all, whatever that struggle is, it's a Lush and Hara struggle, a Shabbos struggle, a Kasha struggle, an honesty and business struggle, a Shemiris and I am struggle. So pray not only for yourself, but pray for others who are going through those same issues. Yeah, and that'll include the chances of a, of a good din. So Harry, one last question for you on a, on a personal level. What is something that you accepted upon yourself or you did personally that you did see success from? Hopefully we can learn some specifics from what you have uh, done. So I, I like to do this in crowds. I'll ask people, and this can be any crowd. This could be from the, the, the very, very, uh, from stark crowd to a more secular crowd. I'll pose the following question to an audience. Who runs your life? And I get fantastic answers depending on the age of the crowd and, and who's in the crowd. Uh, my wife, my, my, my husband, my mother, my father, my boss, my job, 
my schedule, my diet. Then you have the very religious people in the crowd. They'll say, God. And I'll say, guys, can somebody please give me an honest answer? Somebody, anybody, nobody ever does. And I take my phone out of my pocket and I say, let's be honest. We know any of us who have a smartphone. Okay. That's for sure. We know that our phone runs our lives. You know, it's like a mother with a newborn baby. Well, what, what was it? What was it? An email? Was it a text? Was it a WhatsApp message? Was it a tweet? Like, well, what is it? My, my baby. And so for those of us who are in that matzo, and I get it, you know, I need it for business and I do need it for business, but we use it way too much. And we're, if not addicted to it, we're, we're doing a, a real good job. Uh, looking like someone who's addicted to it. And so it's something that I would recommend because it's something that so many of us struggle with and it's such an impediment to growth is come up with some way, do something. Don't just say, I'm going to take something on. Do something and do it now. Do it before Rosh Hashanah. So if you don't have a filter, go to Tag, go to some other place and get a filter put on. And what I did myself, which I'm continuing with, is that I made a rule not to take my phone into bed at night. And because that, because I have very little free time and that was always a good time to, to unwind and to whatever, whatever I'm going to do, even if it was to, to, to look at a vort, okay? Because inevitably after the vort, it's, I'm going to go check the score. Oh, child was a close game. Ooh, look at that. Wow. Uh, the, you know, the, I'm from Philly, you know, so that the Phillies had a, had a real, you know, phenomenal game there that they wanted. Yeah. I better go watch a, you know, a highlight, you know, once I'm watching that highlight, I might as well watch another highlight. And the next thing you know, you're you're doom scrolling uh, and frittering away time, um, which is Bittlesman. So that, for me, I felt was very effective, is that I, I made that rule that it's no longer going to go into uh, my bed. I got a new alarm clock that I use because that was my excuse. Well, I have to take it into my bed in order to set the alarm clock. And now it gets plugged in and it's on the floor and I use my different alarm clock. And that was something that I'm... Uh, that I've continued with. Can't say that I that I that I never break the rule, but I but I try not to. Alarm clocks did exist before smartphones. Yes, Harry, want to thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Likewise, be well. Kasiva Simatova, it's you and everyone. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Rebitz and Fagy Torsky of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She has devoted her life to Jewish education and outreach, and she gives shiurim worldwide on a number of subjects. She serves as the Rebitzin alongside her husband, Rabbi Michal Torsky, in Milwaukee. She has published five books to date and another one coming out shortly. We look forward to seeing that as well. Rebitzin Torsky, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. My we would love to hear your favorite Dvar Torah vort or story for inspiration during Yamim Narayim. Okay, so whenever Yamim Narayim come up, I have a, an image in my mind. What it, the, the, the image that conjures up in my mind is that of when you know, I've lived in Milwaukee um, my, most of my married life. And um, my parents, uh, blessed memory, lived in Bensonhurst, New York. So they were a thousand miles away. And whenever I would uh, come home, home, it's always referred to as home, but you grew up with where your parents lived. So when I would travel home, there was never a time that I arrived at the house that I wouldn't find my father, a blessed memory, standing by the window upstairs. They lived upstairs and the shul was downstairs. And my mother, a blessed memory, used to tell me that um, probably about an hour before I would uh, was scheduled to arrive home. My father would say to her, Krenashi, my crown, he used to call her my crown, please move my chair over here to the window and uh, of the porch, of the upstairs porch. So she would say to him, why do you have to sit by the porch window? And he would say, well, you know, my Fagal is coming home. 
And she would say, but she, but she's not even due home yet for, uh, for another hour. And it takes a half an hour to come from LaGuardia. So he says, no, I want to be sitting um, there now already because I don't want to miss that first glimpse of my Fagala. And to me, it, 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 it's a metaphor for the Rabbeinu Shalom now before Yom Noraim. And we, some people have the misconception that when it comes, yes, it's true, it's a Yom HaDin. But the fact is that the Rabbeinu Shalom is our heavenly parent. He's our heavenly father. And he's looking out the window waiting for us to come to him. He's looking for that connection. He's looking for his little Ari and his little uh, Dvorola and his little, uh, every one of us to come, to come home and to talk to him and to connect with him. So that's the image I have before Yom Narom. Because if a, a, a father of Bas of Adam, a father of flesh and blood, can be so intent on not wanting to miss the first glimpse of, of his darling daughter, how much more so the Rabbi who is Malach Machayam Lachem, who is Avinu Shabashamayim, is looking to, to see all of us and to connect with all of us. So that's the image I have before Rosh Hashanah. Every year I think about that. And uh, every time I go back to Enoch, of course, I go by the house and I look up to see if, if my father is waiting for me. That's a, that's a very image for me. That is very powerful imagery. Very powerful. Thank you so much. If somebody comes to you, and I'm sure many people too, and they say, what should I do to have success in improving the coming year? What Aitza do you give them? Well, I think that my, my husband has kind of instituted in our community uh, a, a very good medium. He, he said, you know, every year we all look to have an annual physical. You know, you go, you want to make sure that your body's intact and that you're in good health. And he said, if, if, if we do that with our bodies, which have to last us for 120 years at most, how about our neshama? that has to last for eternity. So at the same, same time we're thinking about an annual physical, we should be thinking about an annual spiritual. So the members of our community, many of them take advantage of that, and they come in and they sit down and they talk about the year that was and the year that will be, and, and they want to assess their situation to see if they're according um, their priorities um, according to importance of their, you know, scheduling them according to importance. They're focusing on their priorities rather than being busy with things that aren't as important. So this, and, and I also like to take advantage of that because when you articulate and you express all of those things, things become much more clear. It's still, it's true that you get hadracha, but maybe even more important than the hadracha is, is a person uh, speaking it out, expressing themselves, and it becomes much more clear to them, and they're able to see if they're going in the right direction or not. So I think that's a, a very um, important medium to take advantage of. Talk to somebody. Get somebody who you respect, and you can tell them, "Am I? This is what I did last year. You think this is where I should be going this coming year, or should I focus and concentrate more uh, heavily on on something that's that I haven't talked about?" That's very interesting. I just saw a word on the puzzle. So why is it that in that order? Because typically something comes from the heart first before the mouth. And the answer was along the lines of what you're saying. If you don't say it, it doesn't really concretize your thoughts. Your thoughts may be a little right. bit convoluted or not focused. But when you have to say it, that gets to your heart much more focused. And that's why the focus exactly. has to be on 
what you say. Exactly. You, that's why we think that we articulate uh, tefillah. Some people say the Banisham knows what I'm thinking. Why can't I just think it? Because when you express it, it gets an independence of its own, and it's it's much more real if you say it. Right, so, and that's, that's right. And Rambam says, Vidui has to be bepeh. Before that reason, has to be bepeh. Have to verbalize. Right. Have to verbalize it. Right. Very nice. So, I have one final question, a personal question. What is something that you've done, maybe a Kabbalah or a decision you've made that proved successful for you when you came out of uh, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur? What I um, what I try very hard are, are two things. I try to um, increase my level of gratitude. You know, we come to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. We have so much on our hearts and our minds. We want good health. We, not only for ourselves, for our, for our loved ones, for our community. And we have a whole list of requests. So I like to begin that all with first expressing my gratitude to Rishon, what he has already given, what my last year looked like. And so I, I like to first say, say thank you. And then I also, uh, one of the things that I work hard on is not sweating the small stuff and realizing that it's all small stuff that we get so caught up in all the nitty-gritty and and it takes so much of our energy that we lose sight of the things that are really important. So I, were, I, I try to work very hard on that. Like things come up and we get bent out of shape by, you know, the car not starting or, or the we had last week a, a, an airplane trip that was very challenging. And um, and Hashem, we arrived safely, but the whole trip was really a grueling one. And, and I found myself, you know, Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And then, then I settled in to look. Yeah, we Baruch Hashem, the plane didn't crash. We're here to talk about it. So Baruch Hashem for that. But we have a tendency when the, when the cake flops or whatever it is um, to take things all too seriously. And especially when you get older, you realize that life is urgent and that we can't waste time on the nitty gritty. We have to save our energy for the things that are really important for our relationships, for our husbands, our wives, our children, our community, people alleviating people's pain, uh, um, a smile, a good word that makes such a difference to another person. All those things are the things that we should be focusing on. They're the things that ultimately really matter. Very well said. Rebetzin, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It should be a ksiva v'chasiva tova. Thank you so much. You too, and Hatzlacha Rabba and all your work. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Rabbi Beryl Wine. Rabbi Wine is a Rav, a prolific author, a popular speaker, former Rosh Hashiva, and so much more. Rabbi Wine, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, and I want to wish you a very good and happy year, and to all your listeners. Thank you, Rabbi Wine. hear good news from each other. Amen. Thank you so much, Rabbi Wine. I've heard so many of your deep return, enjoyed them tremendously. And wanted to find out for Yami Noraim if it's possible to narrow down on one specific favorite Vartara, Vort, story, thought for inspiration during Yami Noraim. Well, I think the basic inspiration is the, uh, the readings of the Torah itself on Rosh Hashanah. Hashem Kasher Omar. The fact that life is miraculous and that the Jewish people have, uh, more than a miraculous ability to exist. So uh, our mother Sora said it, uh, who imagined, who imagined that uh, 3,500 years later, the story would be relevant and it would be inspirational. 
and uh, we read of the Akeda, none of this comes free. There's no free lunch in the world. So uh, I don't think that uh, there's any story or sermon that can surpass the simple narrative, so to speak, of the Torah itself uh, regarding Avram and Sorrow. That's why the Novi says, Abitu uh, Avram, Avichem al Sorat Cholalchem. You want to know what to be? There, uh, study the life of Avram and of Sorrow, difficulties, the challenges, the greatness. The faith, that's the whole story. But more than that, uh, everything else is an embellishment to it. Right, and I've heard you say on a number of occasions that reading the Tanakh is like reading today's newspaper. So, Well, today's newspapers are worthless. I would stop that embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear, I hear. But uh, the Tanakh is certainly current events. It's not past history. Right, so there's a what to learn even from uh, well, a going forward basis. It, uh, it describes our society, describes all of the uh, all of the weirdness. You know, uh, the uh, Talmud uh, has a story that uh, in a dream, uh, one of the uh, great rabbis of the Talmud saw King Menashe. And Menashe in the Tanat is one of the uh, lesser pious of all the kings of Judah. That's uh, kindly said. And uh, he asked him, how could you, you know, you're a smart man, you're an intelligent person, you know a lot of Torah, everything. How could you, uh, you know, uh, worship the stones and uh, wood and uh, metal and all the nonsense? And Menashe answered him that if you would have lived in my generation, you would have picked up the hem of your robe to run faster to worship. Well, I would think of we think of our society, and that's obviously the case. Who would have believed 20 years ago, 10 years ago, the nonsense that goes on? And uh, the fact that you're not even allowed to speak against the nonsense. So everybody is running to worship it. Right. And a hundred years from now, our descendants will look back and say, you know, what... Uh, what idiots they were. How could that be? So that's the nature of man. And the Tanakh teaches us about the nature of man. And therefore, there really is nothing new. The struggle is an eternal one. Right. So if, if we talk about that struggle on an individual basis, this is the time, Aserasimei that people want to make improvements individually in their lives. And oftentimes we do it through a Kabbalah. We take something, Blinetta, upon ourselves. What, what have you seen that have been successful people in trying to make self-improvements? Only incremental uh, commitments. Little by little. You know, nothing, it's hard to change overnight. And if you change overnight, the Gomorrah has a few cases of people who changed overnight and they died immediately because the shock is too great. So if I would ask on a personal level, what, what has some, is something, a Kabbalah or something like that, that has, has worked for you personally? I tried to imitate the great people that I met in small ways. So, uh, well, yeah. I have made incremental changes in, uh, in prayer and in charity, not so much in studying, because that's a, a different ballgame completely. So find somebody to... And I think, uh, you know, if I find myself in a uh, fortunate position because I was always a rabbi. A rabbi is, I don't want to put it, but he's almost forced to be uh, mm. 
a better person if I put it that way. But maybe there's something to learn from that. I remember speaking with Rabbi Nochem Sauer. We said when he came to learning, put yourself in a position that you're machayiv yourself, that you're obligate yourself. So we could apply that same concept to something. Well, right? you're, you're obligated to teach. You know, that's my all the improvement in learning that I have ever had in my life is from teaching, teaching, writing, speaking. There are people that, uh, you know, they can sit down and uh, I have grandchildren that just can sit down and learn. And, and uh, that's not me. I can't do that. I have to, if I have, if I have to uh, prepare the page of the Talmud, I, I prepare it. That's my... Mechaev. Uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that's the advantage of the rabbinate. There are other sides to it, but uh, the advantage is that, you, uh, that every day you have to come up with something. All right. Thank you very much. A bracha for Klali, so Rabbi Wein. Yeah, that everybody should improve incrementally. It should be a good year for all of us. Tough times, very tough times. Thank you so much, Rabbi Wein.